I'll start off by saying that this was a difficult podcast for many reasons, and not at all because of the man interviewed. There's a depth to this episode that I find almost unexplainable. I'm going to read you an excerpt from my local hometown paper, the San Antonio Express News, because I think it's befitting to know some more about a man who was a hometown hero to me personally, Tracy Willis. I certainly don't want to just make this about Tracy because there was another incredible human being whose memory deserves to be honored just the same, but I'll let Eric Moser go into more detail on that. I focus on Willis's memory in the intro simply because the story seems fateful in that Tracy Willis was known by me and my fellow San Antonians as an absolute titan and someone who only quit fighting when his time on this earth expired on a rooftop in Samar, Iraq in 2007. Keep in mind, this article was written only a few days after Tracy was killed. O'Connor High School football coach Danny Padrone was already in his office early Monday when he heard that Tracy Willis, an all-district free safety for the Panthers in 2003, had been killed in Iraq early Sunday. Suddenly, football didn't seem very important. Tragedy in all its starkness has a way of shaking us back to reality. Padron's tears that day reflected the love and respect Willis's coaches, former teammates, and friends had for him. It was devastating, Padron said. I pray for all our kids. I prayed by name for Tracy because I knew he was over there. It was really traumatic for me to hear that he had been killed. Willis, 21, was an Army corporal assigned to the 82nd Airborne Division. He was a senior on the 2003 squad that advanced to the state quarterfinals and earned the distinction of being the first Panther squad to make the playoffs. Padron broke the news of Willis's death to his team when it gathered Monday morning to go over the scouting report on Reagan, O'Connor's opponent in its season opener this week. It was very tough for me to talk to our kids about it, Padron said. We started off with a prayer. There were very few dry eyes in the room. These young men you coach become your sons. Willis, who played on the O'Connor varsity as a junior and senior, visited his alma mater last spring and spoke to the team. He was in his uniform and he looked great, Padron said. You couldn't ask for a better young man. Tracy was the kind of guy the Army should put on its recruiting poster. Willis, a sniper, and his spotter, Sergeant Joshua Morley of Boise, Idaho, were killed in a rooftop battle in Samara, Iraq. Two other U.S. soldiers survived the firefight, thanks in large measure to the cover Willis provided. When it was over, 12 insurgents lay dead. Padron said it's not surprising at all that Willis died while helping his buddies. That describes Tracy, he said. He was the ultimate team player. He was saving his buddy and paid for it with his life. Willis's parents, Daryl and Wilma Willis, visited Padron at school Monday after the coach called their home to express his condolences. I was trying to comfort them, and they wound up comforting me, Padron said. They're special people. Padron said O'Connor will dedicate its season to Willis, and players will wear his jersey, number 22, on their helmets. Something like this puts football in perspective, said Padron, 55. As you get older, you learn that it's a privilege just to play this game. It's not a war. We get up and can go again, even after we lose. But war is entirely different. That's why we want to remember and honor Tracy. Indeed, heroes like Tracy Willis never should be forgotten. 
That was an excerpt from the San Antonio Express News that I just read, and it was very important for me to be able to read that excerpt because that is my hometown newspaper. And Tracy lived in a small town just outside of San Antonio called Helotus, Texas. And Helotus is essentially a suburb now of San Antonio, although it was much more separate from San Antonio back in the day. It's the same area that I was from. So I was inside the loop. Tracy was born outside the loop. But the girl that I was dating at the time had been a cheerleader at O'Connor High School. So she knew Tracy really well. And I just remember everyone was so impressed with him as a human being. And everyone loved him. And I know that might sound like a cliche because everyone says it nowadays when they're giving compliments out and when we're memorializing people and remembering them. Like, oh yeah, of course everyone loved him because that's what everyone always says. No, everyone did always love. And I personally hate cliches. Uh, you hear him almost every Sunday on NFL broadcast. That guy's the first in and last out. Well, they say that about every player. So who's really the first in and last out? So it's important to know that this is not a cliche to say that Tracy was loved by all. I know that much. And if you ever get the chance and you're in San Antonio, Texas, uh, or just north of San Antonio in Holotus, Go to a restaurant that's on Highway 16 called El Chaparral. First of all, you'll have one of the best Mexican food experiences of your life. Secondly, they have a memorial to Tracy in the middle of the restaurant. I believe he worked as a dishwasher or waiter at El Chaparral. But they honor him in the middle of that restaurant to where you can't walk into the rest of the restaurant without passing his memorial. His football jerseys there signed by all his teammates and his picture of him in the Maroon Beret. So make sure you stop in and visit El Chaparral if you're ever in the area. It's important that we never forget these stories. Now enter Eric Moser, a veteran of the 82nd who would go on to become a Green Beret. Eric was on the rooftop that day with Tracy and Josh. His time in that running battle was fraught with details that are hard to even fathom. No Hollywood script could possibly encapsulate the vigor, strength, and courage those men showed, or the pure terror of that day. I met Eric at Winterstrong, a Sornex event, last year. I know I've mentioned many times the incredible man that is Bert Soren, the president of Sornex. And one of the reasons Bert is so incredible is that he truly understands the importance of community. His ability to bring our best and brightest together deserves to be applauded. And I feel indebted to him for some of the incredible friendships I've made through both Summer Strong and Winter Strong. Anyways, I met Eric Moser at Winter Strong just briefly in passing. My friend Don McAllister spent a lot more time with him, and I remember Don coming up to me after their conversation and saying, that I needed to get Eric and his friend Rob on the podcast. Well, as I am a believer in the Lord's providence, that was a meeting that was meant to happen. I learned later that Eric was a part of that four-man team on the rooftop in Samara and had been with Tracy as he breathed his last that day in 2007. Now, to some of you, it might seem I've given away a lot of the story, but I assure you, I haven't. Moser's words on this podcast are chilling. 
his remembrance of that day vivid, and how could it not be? He fought and bled that day with some of our best and brightest. The context of that firefight left two families without sons, a wife without a husband, and children without a father. That's the cold, hard truth of war. Loss is generational. Its effects are felt by more than just the individual, and that grief is shared for lifetimes. Regardless of how you feel about our wars in Iraq and Afghanistan, this fact must be acknowledged. We must honor those fallen so that we never forget their names, their sacrifices, their courage, and their loss. Eric Moser certainly won't forget. There's certainly more to Eric's life than that battle, but I wanted to focus the introduction on memorializing the men who fought so valiantly that day. I want to wrap this all up with the reading of Eric's citation for the, for the Distinguished Service Cross, which was a downgrade from the original recommendation for the Medal of Honor. The President of the United States of America, authorized by Act of Congress, July 9, 1918, takes pleasure in presenting the Distinguished Service Cross to Sergeant then Specialist Eric Allen Moser, United States Army, for exceptional valor and intrepid actions above and beyond the call of duty while serving with Company C, 2nd Battalion, 505th Parachute Infantry Regiment, 3rd Brigade Combat Team, 82nd Airborne Division, while repelling an overwhelming and heavily armed enemy force on 26 August 2007 during Operation Iraqi Freedom. Sergeant Moser's exceptional courage, tenacity, and tactical prowess under intense enemy fire and close combat contributed to the defeat of a concerted enemy effort to overrun his sniper position. Surrounded and attacked by an enemy force ten times superior to that of his own, Sergeant Moser and his fellow paratroopers valiantly repelled the enemy attack with withering small arms fire and grenades. His four-man sniper team courageously fought off an overwhelming enemy force for control of the rooftop for over 10 minutes in close combat, killing or wounding at least 10 enemies in the process. His distinguished valor, unquestionable devotion to duty, and loyalty to his fellow paratroopers in the most dire of circumstances are in keeping with the finest traditions of military heroism and reflect great credit upon himself, Task Force 2 Panther, 3rd Brigade Combat Team, 82nd Airborne Division, Task Force Lightning, and the United States Army. This citation for the Distinguished Service Cross, our second highest decoration behind the Medal of Honor, is a reflection on the character of not only Eric, but his fellow soldiers who fought that day. With more on that day and life since, I turn it over to the one and only Eric Moser. The Veterans Project is a comprehensive essay capturing the legacies of our warfighters, caregivers, and civilians who have stepped forward in defense of our patriotic principles in an effort to capture their stories and to never forget the staggering sacrifices of our nation's finest. This is the Veterans Project Podcast, where our legacies are the mission. Here's your host, Tim Kay. Welcome to the Veterans Project Podcast. My name is Tim Kay. I'll be your host as always. With me here today, we have Sergeant First Class Eric Moser. Eric, you know, it's been a tremendous time uh, getting to know you a little bit in the shop. First of all, watching you work with Knives, and you know, he's one of the founders of Gunfighter Design with his friend Rob. Rob is an incredible guy. 
He's the hillbilly of the group. <laughs> <laughs> I could call him that right now because he's not in here. Yep. He might be spotting me up on the hill, but <laughs> sniper, sneaky sniper. <laughs> uh, but Eric Moser <clears throat> uh, spent time in the 82nd Airborne and then also as a Green Beret with 10th Special Forces Group. Eric, it's an honor to have you here. Thanks for being on the show, man. I appreciate you. Yeah, it's great to pop the cherry with the first podcast. Man. Yeah, dude. Glad to have you here, man. <laughs> Take two, right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I will admit my embarrassing episode of not having the first one going on record. I don't know if it's user fault. I'm going to blame myself. You know what? Because <laughs> I feel like there needs to be more accountability nowadays. Yep, I'm taking accountability for that action, okay? <clears throat> Eric, it's an honor to have you here. Why don't you start off with you know life in, in Tomball, Texas, right? You grew up in Texas. Proud Texas boys right here. Yep. I'm always proud of where I'm from. Uh, everybody in the nation knows where I'm from because as soon as I leave the state, Texas, <laughs> we get it, Tim. We know. Ask my buddies, the Phillips from Mississippi. Uh, we know Tim's here because yeah. we start hearing about Texas right away. And if you live in Texas in another part, it's San Antonio. I'm always talking about San Antonio. So it's always me and my love for Texas extends far and wide deep. I feel like every Texan feels that, though. Yeah. Um. You grew up in Tomball. What what about that? What what was that like? And you know, I know that some of that's tough in memory, right? Yep. I want to get into that a little bit. Talk about that. Yeah. Um the group Tomball, Texas, uh home with Purple Heart. I'm not sure if they're still made there, but they used to if you flip them over, you used to say Purple Heart medals used to say made in Tomball, Texas. Um, that's pretty rad. And then uh kind of what you're alluding to is like I I have a really tough time remembering a lot of my younger years just from a pretty substantial amount of TBIs. Uh, and, uh, but what I do, what I do remember growing up in Tomball, uh, you know, back 20 plus years, it was a more, more rural town, mm-hmm. um, you know, two lane roads. And now I've, you know, I went back for the first time and really spent some time there probably 10 or 12 years ago. And there was, flying overpass toll road going through there and i i think i recommend recognize two two buildings in the town that i grew up in <laughs> uh and outside of that I, I remember having the ability to uh just go out and do whatever i kind of felt like whether i asked for permission or not um and that was okay um you know pre-cell phone days it's like maybe i maybe i left a, a note saying hey mom i'm going going over here for the next four days yeah uh, and uh to where now you know uh i guess as a something i I reflect on pretty regularly now is i'll have uh my my kids will have friends over and uh get a phone call it's like hey can you send so-and-so home it's like they're not here (laughs) what do you mean uh, they're not your house like i like they were here, yeah, and then they left. Well, where are they? That's a wonderful question. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Aren't you their parents? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, but you know, this is kind of what I this is what I did, and I'm gonna I'm gonna carry that on and let them make their own mistakes. Yeah, and, uh, you know, same same way I was. Like that's my biggest thing. I was I was afforded every opportunity to make my own mistakes, versus having uh, you know hovercraft parent. Yeah. Um, monitoring my every move yeah so how much do you think that contributed to your career in the army how much do you think that helped you as a soldier i think with the track that i went down it was 
it almost weaponized it a little bit. Mm. Um, you know, my first first team sergeant is pretty much said, "K is a uh, we're on a Halo team." He's like, "As a recce guy, you know, your job is to push the limits." Um, but like, when if you do get caught pushing the limits, just own it, you know. Mm. And uh, so I, I've definitely been in Iraq, not on relaxed grooming standards, uh, but based on where we were, I'm. Gr- Beard, hair, everything going going out, and uh, just kind of riding that line. Mm-hmm. Not you know whether I'm wearing civilian clothes and kind of pretending to be cooler than I really am. Uh, <laughs> and then you get caught, and it's like, oh, take my slap on the wrist, uh, you know. And I got, I definitely got enough slap on the wrists in uh, in school prin- principal's office, all yeah. that kind of stuff. And so it's like, well, you know. It's not the end of the world. Yeah. But if mom and dad are always there protecting you from making your own mistakes, the first time you do get in trouble, how are you going to, how are you going to deal with that? You know? Yeah. So, uh, I think being, I remember I got, was accused of hazing in high school and, uh, when it's all said and done, uh, I think my mom was like, you know, how bad is it? Like maybe a couple hours of detention. And uh, some of my my peers were getting expelled. It's like, oh wow! I I don't think that's gonna happen. I think I think we can talk our way out of this. <laughs> <laughs> Did you? Oh uh, yeah, I got like three hours of detention and uh, moved on with my day. Uh, but it was, I was also able to. Dude, you could have been a lawyer. I could have communicated. <laughs> I was able to communicate with the principal without tearing up or being scared. I think. Um, and so that just kind of carries on to the next thing, to the next thing, the next thing, because mm-hmm. uh, my hands aren't clean through the military. I definitely got in trouble. That's that's part of growing up yeah. in the military. Uh, I feel like you'd be more rare as a Green Beret if you told me you hadn't got in yeah, trouble. Ab- yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <You know? laughs> that's probably the mantle, <laughs> the mantle that you carry. <laughs> yeah. What do you... Um, what do you remember about getting in the military first? Because you were in the 82nd Airborne. Yep. And uh, did did you enjoy that experience being in the eighty second? Do you think that was instrumental in your career and all that I, you did I after? Do. Um, it was it was another one of those building blocks. Um, and the eighty second life in the eighty second isn't even none of it's that bad. Um, so I think what well, I joined in 05, and the first thing we did is we got uh, green corvetted to uh, Katrina. So we're tagging tagging floating bodies and for the biohazard teams and uh oh wow so you did doing Katrina the, time. yeah we're guarding uh guarding the hospital there from the the tweakers trying to break into the pharmacy and get stuff and uh get pot shots you know i i was never in a spot where we were had pot shots taken at us but guys it was the uh the superdome or whatever whatever the stadium yeah su- yeah was superdome. there you know guys there were dealing with more stuff uh than that but uh you know katrina was bad it's like okay but we haven't had running water we haven't had showers it's we're in louisiana you know it's we're at or maybe even below the water table with flooding water contaminated with diesel fuel and uh i think i think day five of us walking through the flooded streets and just bdus and you know you come back oh sweet I feel like these lesions on my legs are from 
fuel and then you know the news is putting out flesh-eating bacteria and all this stuff and then and then the next day uh was it ducks unlimited or somebody brought trucked in a whole thing of waiters like well now i'm just sweating inside of waiters with diesel fuel on my leg (laughs) (laughs) now i've got self-contained lesions you know it's great (laughs) sounds like a typical army move yeah absolutely hey let's get us let's get you the waiters after you've experienced the hell so you know, doing doing stuff like that, uh, just further, you know, you 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 can either embrace the suck or you can bitch about it. You know? How how was it on the ground? Was it as bad as you thought it would be when you uh, got you know, there? It was. I think I think I found out on the news, or my mom found out on the news. I was driving through Fayetteville on our one one hour leash, and uh, she's like, "Are you leaving?" I'm like, "It's oh, uh, a great question." She's like, "Well, the, the news." just put out that uh 80 seconds deploying it's like well maybe i am and then i think maybe two minutes later i get a phone call I was like, well time to go <laughs> here we go do, do uh, you do you think that time in new orleans helped you out as far as moving forward and like dealing with the adversity and in- it, was, it was it was it was a snapshot of uh i guess it kind of broke me into actual deployments like this is how bad stuff can suck. Um, you're hot, you're miserable, you're tired, uh, eating nothing but MREs. And uh, I just completely spaced on my next thought process. No, no, I'm, I'm, I'm one. <laughs> the TBIs are coming I, up right I, now. <laughs> I, had a, I had a path, and it's, yeah. it has uh, faded. What do, you remember about, what do you remember about the people on the ground and, and what you saw there? I mean... Um, How the, bad was we it didn't, for them? We didn't have martial law, uh, but you know we'd come up on people, and uh, they're siphoning gas. Uh, like, hey, man, you really shouldn't be doing that. But at the same time, like, well, maybe that's all he's got. Does it? Does it really matter? Um, we're not. We're not policemen. Right. We're. You know, I think one of our lieutenants was, was like, "We are. We are the United States Army. We have." food and water you know we have essentials of life and uh so we're handing out cases of water and cases of mres to people that did not leave or would not leave yeah couldn't leave um that's what i was getting at i remember we were we were kind of clearing doing going down the houses to make sure if if people were there they were okay Hmm. and i know we hit we opened up the door to one house we're not we're not doing tactical hits um this is purely humanitarian but uh, my verbiage may slip, but no tactics. Um, <laughs> but I remember we go and we're searching his house. Smells pretty rotten. And I remember turning the corner and the door closes. And there was an elderly woman, you know, dead in the corner with her eyes open. Uh, you know, gray hair frizzed out. And I screamed like a little girl when that when I saw this. Um, scared the crap out of me you know <laughs> i mean that's pretty frightening <laughs> yeah. and, just because uh, you're a soldier doesn't mean you're not scared yeah and so you know that was that was the first glimpse of you know something something like that really yeah life and death uh, yeah on the so ground like, oh. yeah you know once once you calm down you know, that, that happened so yeah i screamed 
but move, move on. Right? <laughs> I'm, glad, I'm glad you told that story because anybody listening to this podcast in the future is like, Eric, better tell the first story of yeah. him seeing. <laughs> You're going to act all rough and tough. We yeah. want to hear the first story of you experiencing a dead body. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm pretty sure I had some pretty embarrassing screams during the Katrina trip because I know we were, what we do, like horror movie stuff. I know we ended up clearing a blood bank. That the generator had generator failure, mm-hmm. and so it's like, oh, I'm in a blood bank, like a Red Cross blood bank, and down there in New Orleans, and uh, the walls have uh, like probably mold, but it's like white stringy mold growing up the walls. Oh and wow! It's like, dude, what what is causing that in yeah. the blood bank? Yeah, that's like uh, a... this is that's kind of creepy. I don't want to be getting my blood. <laughs> ba- <laughs> I don't want to be getting my blood from like, that dude. blood bank. <laughs> Jeez, yeah, so, yeah. Uh, just strange. How long were you? How long were you on the ground there? A month, maybe. A month. I maybe. honestly don't remember. Yeah. How long? I well, what's crazy is when I was going through basic training. Uh, I got finished in September of '05. Yeah. And so everything was kind of kicking off uh, with. Katrina, I mean, we thought the world was ending, <laughs> you know, yep. like, we're like Iraq surge, right? Yep. Surge kicks off while we're in basic training. And we're like, oh, great. We chose an awesome time to join. <laughs> and then at the same time, you know, it's Katrina kicks off. Yep. Happens. And then, you know, we're seeing the 82nd go in, Louisiana National Guard, Texas National Guard's going out there. Just, you know, just devastating yeah to watch um and you know what's funny is i'd never been to new orleans until after katrina um i'd never seen it but we just did a podcast with a guy named bobby curasquillo who was in the 82nd and he got out right when katrina happened because he was from new orleans and he went home okay and he lived on the streets uh he had a pretty funny story about him wearing his fatigues. Like, he'd just gotten out, but he put them on anyways so he could get through, like, the checkpoints and all that. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, he lived, I mean, he lived in a tent for a good year and, you know, said okay. it was pretty chilling, you yeah. know, being back on the ground, seeing his hometown like that. But I can't imagine, you know. So to have the connection to you, because he was talking about some of the guys from the 82nd yeah. that he'd been with going over there. Um, so to see that must have been pretty wild. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. You don't you don't picture your first deployment being to the US. Right. Right. <laughs> You're like, I'm supposed to go to Iraq, right? Yep. <laughs> but the situation on the ground dictates it's pretty rough. Yeah. So so after you leave New Orleans, where do you yep. go? You go back to Bragg? Yep, back to Bragg. Okay. And uh pretty much immediately start rip uh, prepping for first rotation into Iraq. Okay. And how how soon and we'll make the connection here in a second, but how uh, how Soon into your career, had you met Tracy Willis? So I actually met Tracy in in Iraq. Oh, you uh, met him in Iraq. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so I was originally uh, not C two ten. That's where I was. Um, but Seco two five zero five. And then you had the HHC that had the uh, Reaper and Ghost units. Um, but they were. So the the true Scott Sniper guys were over in HSC, and then we were on patrol base Olson in our in Iraq. Um, so we had one company 
plus a platoon, uh, like a mobility platoon, um, or we call them green platoon, and then we would have, you know, Josh, Tracy, and Chris as a as a dedicated sniper element, and then uh, so I, I I was in Iraq as a machine gunner, um, but I you know I grew up going down to the Raton, uh, Whittington NRA Center doing long range shooting, and just through. I guess word of mouth, and the next thing you know, they're like, "Okay, you're a machine gunner, but here's also a uh, an accurized M14 or an M21." Mm. And so now I'm doing dedicated marksmanship stuff. Okay. And then I'm like, "Well, hey," uh, and they start it off. They'd pick, you know, "Hey, C uh, or uh, third platoon, we need Eric to go out with uh, with snipes to do an SKT or a small kill team." Okay. Um, and then you know, to, next week. Reapers going back out and uh, they'll pull somebody from first platoon or from second platoon. And I just kept any time it was third platoon to the time I'm going out augmenting mm, what okay. they got going on. And then it just became more and more frequent. Um, and I probably wasn't even their favorite. I know I, I used to snore like a motherfucker. <laughs> that's, you know, that's one of the last things you need on a, on a, on a, <laughs> You're trying to be sneaky. Yeah. Uh, so. They chose the wrong guy. <laughs> yeah. That's uh, funny, man. So so what do you remember about the environment? You know, you're you're going to Samara in two thousand seven, yep. right? <clears throat> what was the thinking going in? Do you remember being nervous about it or um, having any idea of what you were gonna you encounter? Know, we probably got probably had half a day to be nervous about whatever was ever going on yeah. on first rotation. Uh so then we got there and we we replaced the hundred first and they pretty much told us uh, we only go out at night. Um, because that's when we have you know it's it's safer safest for us to maneuver at night. And it's our commander uh, now, or yeah, Captain Ferris at the time, pretty much like well we have no daytime presence. <laughs> Let me get this right. Yeah. You're trying and, uh, not to get killed. Yeah. And uh, so first thing we do is just not inside up armored vehicles, but walking foot patrol. Mm-hmm. Like we are here because um, city, the city was bad. Yeah. Um, and I cut your teeth. It's like, well, my first thing out here is with no protection other than armor. We're, we're, we're walking, doing foot patrols and. Mm. Uh, you don't you don't have time to really worry about anything. You're you're switched on, or you're yeah, mm. yeah. So you're ready. Yeah, yeah. What do you, what do you remember about your uh, about your first contact? Um, I was, and I don't want to sound like a sociopath, but like I first contact it's like i had a job to do yeah my job is return fire um machine gun and uh do my job yeah so it was literally like well this is my job i'm gonna do my job yeah execute the job and what was that first contact what was what what had happened what occurred or do you remember not and not really uh ambush situation or scenario or no no uh, I wish one that sticks out 
pretty good is there was a uh, an IP station was getting ambushed and we were on QRF and we're rolling out and uh, lead gun. I remember we're we're getting close to the uh, the BP station and we see three three bongo trucks with dishkas in the beds rolling past us and it's like that's the trucks that were just jacking up the uh, the Iraqi police and uh, lead gunner just freezes like if mm. you have freedom freedom to cut loose right and he just you know stone walls and mm. I, I know I remember hearing the TC we're in gun trucks but I'm pretty sure I can hear the TC yelling and hitting like you need to fire you need to fire and pretty much I'm second gunner grab my turret switch my sector and as soon as I get you know a couple degrees off that that lead truck just cutting loose mm. um, as much as as much as I could until uh, I hit a point where it's like well there's there's people over there uh, and you know I didn't I didn't come here to shoot everybody right <laughs> <laughs> unlike so, some of us yeah and uh <laughs> But it's like, you know, these guys, these are who we're after. Yeah, you knew. And, uh, but, uh, you know, I, anytime something like that happened, I was, I had, I was always surprised or glad that I could see, I never, I never really felt like shit caved in on me. Mm, um, that's good. Like I got tunnel vision because I, I remember being like, okay, lift fire because mm. I'm about to. Like, I do not need to spray that intersection where there's kids playing soccer. Yeah. Um, and sort of, yeah, because I think, I think some guys would just get sucked keep in. Keep going, they yeah. Just, they just, just plug away and keep going and going and going. Yeah. So. And, and, and that not, that's not necessarily wrong. No. Um, you know, in the moment, war is war, war yep. is hell, and... Um, you know, obviously to civilians listening to that, they might take that as kind of cold hearted, you know, me saying that, but the simple fact is some people do freeze up. Some people do let go in the moment. Some people keep firing. They want to make sure those guys are all the way dead and then they're not watching the intersection and then they might kill some civilians situations, scenarios. I've seen some good, I've seen some good soldiers do, which has happened stuff like, Um, yeah, I know we were on, I was on a platoon based SKT. And, uh, like, I guess my favorite part of the story is I had just gotten brand new to me with the Peltor S6s, the, mm-hmm. the electric, you know, that was the fancy shit. In nice. 2006, yeah. 2007. And, uh, we occupied a house and, uh, and then we had a platoon out that was trying to bait, do like a baited ambush. And, uh, uh the call, the call comes. And we're we're on a we're doing a, a low, an LP, um, on this balcony, and uh, like mafia style, the black beamer comes rolling up, roll coming right into our our sector, and uh, there's guys sitting in the windows facing backwards, shooting at our, our platoon that's making chase but they're in a beamer and you've got up armored humvees so it's the snail chasing the the hare you yeah. know uh, so it's not <laughs> not gonna work yeah but we've got this thing called a, a surprise ambush and so 
I remember I slid my Peltors down over my ears, and I picked up the machine gun on the balcony, and as soon as they hit my left sector, it was just squeeze trigger and just follow them. You know, now they're 20 feet away. Mm -hmm. we're, I'm pretty much 45 degrees down, hammering this vehicle, and then it hits the other side, uh, and then just kind of roll, rolls off, not much further. Yeah. And, uh, and like one distinct memory is I definitely, definitely saw a father carrying around, you know, crying as he's got a limp child in his arms, mm. you know, off in the distance. Mm. And, uh, you know, were those my rounds? I don't know. Um, yeah. I was not the only one on, only guy on the balcony firing, but, right. it, you know, that, that's probably the only real memory that, you know, more, more or less might haunt me. Yeah. Um, is that harder now that you have a daughter? Oh, sure. Yeah. 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 That's got to be difficult. So, yeah. It's like, I, I don't know for sure. Yeah, you don't. You know, uh, and how can you? Yeah. It's war. Yeah. So in those moments, you know, you you talked a little bit about, you know, meeting Tracy in Iraq before. And the reason we bring this up is because he's a, San, a veteran of San Antonio, um, a guy that I knew through my, my girlfriend's friend had dated him. And uh, I just heard incredible things about him all the time. Um, almost ad nauseum. Yeah. <laughs> Tracy, he's so great. All right, we get it. Why don't you date him? Yeah. <laughs> Maybe I will. <laughs> <laughs> but um, you knew him. And yeah. that was really wild as we we're sitting in the restaurant. I brought him up and you knew him and you were on the rooftop Yeah. Uh, when that happened. What do, what do you remember about Tracy? Do, do you remember much? Um, what do you remember about getting to meet him and getting to know him as a soldier? Just, honestly, don't remember much. Uh, my a lot of our interactions was we're here to do we're here to do work. Yeah. Um, you know, it's not till after the fact that I really got started hanging out with Chris, just because we had something we had something that we each needed to deal with. Mm -hmm. um, but it's pretty much, you know, we don't you don't uh, sit on a sniper oriented mission and crack beers and get to meet. <laughs> uh, no catch up you know? time. Yeah. And, uh, and then I guess one downfall of what I was doing is my, I had a day job. So my day job is machine gunner. And, uh, and so I more or less was wearing myself out because I it's like, okay, we do a daytime patrol. We do a nighttime patrol. Um, and maybe we have a target we need to hit. Jeez. At the same time, and then so you're doing all this so, extra stuff on top. So you of... come in, I come back, and they're like, "Hey, you know, third platoon, we need somebody uh, <laughs> to go out." Here we go. <laughs> you just been up for like twelve and, uh, hours. <laughs> yeah, then, yeah, yeah. So I mean, I knew Josh pretty good just because he was the guy that I was interacting with from a, a leadership standpoint, uh, and uh, really got to know his father. Yeah, uh, just do work. Yeah. But, uh, now Tra Tracy was he was the uh, the RTO mm. or the, ra the you know our radio operator when we go out. Um, he was just probably one of the the kindest hearted guy, kindest hearted guys you'd meet. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, cause, I mean we we interacted more than what I'm saying, but like. Yeah. Again, some of that stuff's been blocked out. Right. You know. Yeah. Yeah. I get it. So. Yeah. What do you? Can you can you take me through that day yeah. and what happened and and kind of what led up to yeah, so the moment? 
the mission was we were basically we were setting up a an ambush with our with Reaper, and uh, we were gonna have a platoon try it. We'd been taking RPG fire from a specific intersection, and uh, so our 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 objective was get to this rooftop, hang out. Um, we're gonna try and set an ambush, and then hopefully if if they make take contact, you guys are there behind them to deal with the threat. And uh, so we infill, and I guess I guess one thing that's semi important is you know this is going to be a very short term. We're going to do it like a two two o'clock infill, um, and you'll be out by lunch. Mm. And so I know we pulled. You know I definitely brought way less water, like an MRE, uh, and just way less stuff than what I normally we were normally taking with us when we're doing stuff. Okay, and uh, so we infill. Uh, Green platoon's out. They're 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 trying to bait in, uh, you know, some RPG fire. Um, ended up being non-eventful. Uh, and then, so that's when we get our our frago. It's like hey, because initially it was like, hey, we're gonna have the SKT out, and then when Green platoon RSPs back to back to Olsen, uh, they'll scoop you guys up and bring you back. And so first Frago, it's like, hey, we want you guys to stay on, stay on, stay on target and just remain as an LP and, uh, just, um, yeah, stay on, stay on target and just observe and let us know what kind of happens. And, uh, so the garager, so now we're, you know, not having much water. No more. We don't. We didn't bring lunch, um, but that's that's where I go. So, done deal. Stay on target, and then probably, probably fifteen twenty minutes later, you know, we get radio calls. Hey, uh, airs airs black on fuel. They're RTB. So our we had an air air platform up in the sky. Uh, mm-hmm. Those guys pull off, and then they I guess pull off because they didn't have enough fuel. No, no more fuel. Yeah. And so I guess to paint a paint a picture of the rooftop, we're on it's like a four story building, uh, four story rectangular building. It's got two dog houses or you know coves for you, the stairs to come up to with a door, and uh, and there's a divider wall down the center. And so I'm I'm on one corner, you know, facing the street below the wall, and then Chris is on the other corner facing the actual t- intersection that's the target because um, he's he's a trained sniper right he's he's primary shooter i'm just the guy with the m21 um, so you are you essentially spotting for him i'm no i, de- I was a i was there as a precision role but i'm you know I, at the time i was not i had never been to sniper school it was just i am effective with long range this, this, this long range rifle um and uh I remember, and then Chris and, uh, or Josh and Tracy are back by the gear. They're, you know, they're, in, they're, on, they're resting and monitoring the radio. And, uh, the air pulls off probably five minutes later, uh, just starting to hear w- weird noises. You know, we've been on this rooftop, you know, what the town sounds like, you know, what daily life sounds like. And, you know, hear, hear a car screech. Oh, that's 
it happens. Like, hear more, hear some yelling, and uh, I get, I just get, you know, my spidey sense is going off. Like, I, mm. I feel like something's not normal, and uh, I signal Josh over. Josh and I look over the wall. We break defilate. You know, at this point, we hadn't really been looking over. Um, look down, and it kind of looks like. Uh, I, I say it looks like the Matrix um, mm. with Mister. You know, then there's a thousand Mister Smiths. Yeah, yeah, coming after the guy. Um, look down, and you just see blast ma- black masks, machine guns, and probably seven, seven to nine trucks oh, with geez. dudes dudes just unloading and coming into the building that were on the rooftop. Oh no! And uh, what 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 were you? What, were, what did you think? So initially, we we. Josh and I look at each other. We have time to turn around and yell. They're coming up the stairs. And about that time, uh, the doghouse opposite of us on Chris's side, a guy pops out of the stairwell with a belt-fed machine gun and just starts spraying. And uh, the only thing that, the only reason I'm alive is because when Josh and I were running back to start securing stairwells is he was in between me and the belt fed. And so Josh gets takes full, you know, full machine gun blast, mm. um, goes down. Um, Chris was not seen cause he was behind. There was a water tank at the corner and then Chris was, there was a water tank between the door and that. So the guy didn't, the guy had no idea that he was there. Um, and, uh, Chris has a M 24, bolt gun mm, and geez. so chris puts all five rounds in the back of this guy and then picks up the belt fed and proceeds to he starts his he starts his own fight on his side of the the rooftop wow um tracy and i are on our side tracy's got uh the saw and uh so we're fighting down the stairs and eventually tracy and i have the conversation amongst everything else that's going on it's like we need we need to get grenades over that wall yeah we need to get grenades we need to get grenades out in general um you know and i remember um clear day tracy grabs first frag is heading over to drop one down because all, all we hear is trucks outside and yeah more you know on top of what we're dealing with and uh I, he get well, I get uh, get frag out, and then like I, I have no idea if this was from the stairwell I was fighting down, or um, you know we got some OD, uh, was it uh, ODA zero six three was there too, um, so we got some intel from them saying that we might have even had guys on adjacent rooftops shooting at us, but uh, Tracy Tracy gives the the frag out um, and end up taking a round or two and goes down with a grenade with no pin in it. Hmm. Um, and I remember seeing that I had enough time to hit the deck and then that grenade goes off, you know, 10, 10 or so feet. But there was, you know, Tracy again, like don't have a reason why, but there was a grenade with Tracy in between me and the grenade. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm I'm still in the fight at this point, but I've seen our team leader, I've seen Tracy go down, 
and I have no idea where Chris is. Hmm. Um, so I'm fight. I'm fighting my own battle down this stairwell. Um, the best I can. I end up running through every magazine I have. Um, starting having weapons malfunctions on my M4. Um, and I, so I, I remember I, I had to step away from this, the doorway that I'm fighting down, fighting down the stairs. And, uh, the way Josh fell, um, I mean, as I'm working through my malfunction, you know, there's hands and guys are actively now switching from shooting to they're trying to get Josh down the stairs. Mm. And uh, so now I'm pretty much, I have my my M4 as a baseball bat as I'm fighting guys for my friend's body. Um, they were able to, they ended up getting his, his M4. Um, but, uh, and this is like, I, I still don't remember exactly what happened. Yeah. Um, but I, I, you know, I go from gunfight to fist fight, fighting for my teammate's body. And then, uh, come to the, you know, I hit that point. It's like, I got to get, I need more rounds. Like they're going to, they're coming back. Yeah. Um, and I hear machine gun machine gun fire and stuff going on the other side of the roof and uh so you're you at this at that point you were so close in contact where you're actually having to club guys to get them off yes the body it's it's uh jeez like i i don't have a you know i don't know because in my head playing it back it's like why there were so many of them why wouldn't somebody just shoot at you yeah stick something out and yeah like how how was i protected like that (laughs) yeah to be able to do what happened. Like I have, I have wow. no words. Yeah. Know? Yeah. Um, get, get my, you know, I think I ended up grabbing, I know Josh's, uh, load carrier was on the ground. So I was able to get, uh, more rounds off of him. Once I get my weapon back into service mm-hmm. and, uh, I come down to where it's like, okay, um, I've got my functions and then it's like, okay, well this is, this is my last round. I've got, one round left. Um, you know, they had a couple events in Iraq uh, where they're capturing and decapitating bodies, mm-hmm. or, you know, Americans. Oh, and yeah. so, um, so this is, I take a step back and it's like, okay, uh, pretty much have two options. It's uh, shoot the next guy that comes up, like let him break the corner and just shoot him and then jump off the roof um, to not, like I'm not going a lot. Right. I don't yeah. want my throat cut, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and do that. Or do I just, do I just eat this round? Like, you know, and so I'm, now I'm contemplating like what, what's the better option? Cause I, those were the only, that was the only two solutions I had. It's mm-hmm. like, I'm not going alive. So do I eat around and not let them win. Or do I take one more out and jump off the rooftop? Wow. Um, Not great options. And, you know, I don't even think I got, I heard a bunch of noise. And so I, I start choking up on the wall, probably just by default at this time. And uh, it's like, Lord, if you're there, really use some help. Mm. And uh, I, I say this and... Uh, 
Next thing I know, barrel of a PKC, start taking the slack out of the trigger. And at the last second, I see ASU or ACU sleeves as Chris breaks the corner with my muzzle an inch from his skull. Um, and I'm able to, I take slack off and, uh, it's like, I had no idea he was even alive. Wow. And I've been over and he, he had the same thing. He's all he knows is that when he finished his fight on his side of the building, he comes over and he's got, you know, two teammates on the ground. Yeah. Um, so he's mentally on his side. He's like, you know, I'm, I'm last guy and I'm on my side. I'm last guy. And uh, the amount of relief and joy <laughs> of seeing, you know, him holding a PKC and my barrel being an inch from his head, um, you know, unspeakable. Just it's like, you know, we have a chance. Yeah. Um, so we start, like, now we can have a plan. So there was a little, a little, a in fire, a little in, in their attack. Um, and we're able, it's like, hey, we need to get armor on because this whole time we're in the, uh, you know, we've been baking on a rooftop, no, no helmet, no armor. Um, so we need, <laughs> let's, let's fortify our position kind yeah. of thing. Um, and all we can do to fortify our position is to throw on, throw on our, uh, PPE. Right. Mm. And, uh, were you able to get more ammo at this yep, point? Yeah. yeah. So now, now we've got at, and so, um, throughout this whole uh, ordeal, um, they were lobbing Chinese grenades up at us, which is convenient for us because they kind of just go, you know, up at twenty degrees. So right. like if you hit the deck, you're going to be concussed, but all the shrapnel goes up. Yeah, and uh, so I think I I think you know they probably lobbed twelve to fifteen of those things at us on the roof um, throughout this whole ordeal. And it's like grenade, get down. Get back so, up. like, basically half your TBIs are from that moment. <laughs> from that moment. A vast, yeah. vast majority. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Wow. And, uh, but so Chris and I are so amped up and sketched out. Um, so we, we, we continue to fight down the stairwell on our side. And, uh, you know, eventually, or, uh, so one of the, one of the Furious Free Frags um, takes out our radio. You know, Trace Tracy's radio is down, and oh, because so, I mean, he's he. I remember, I remember Tracy trying to get somebody up on comms, mm-hmm. um, and that you know he's he throws it. It's like some, they blew up our fucking radio. You know, grenade took it out, and he chucks it across the roof, because mm. um, like that's our comms. Yeah, and uh, so when Chris and I, so you're not having any QRF, no. Uh, so when Chris and I meet up, um, yeah, you know, I'm like, I was like, Josh has an icon on his vest. And so now we're like, where's his vest? And so we, we find we find the radio on his vest, and Chris just starts ripping through the channels. Um, you know, Station 1, Reaper in contact, need QRF. Channel 2, Reaper in contact, need QRF. Um, so during that time, uh, so we had a mutual supporting position out there with us. Um, and that, I guess that was another like change to the plan because they were supposed to be within 500 meters of us mm. and then just due to logistics not sure why they ended up being you know eight eight to a kilometer away and uh so they they're hearing the commotion that's going on with us yeah 
Um, were they so, in their so, own separate so fight? They're, they're, no, they're, so they're they're in their own, they're, uh, they're 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 just hearing what's going on, and uh, so luckily they were like, "Hey, we get some pretty substantial." There's a battle going on over here. Yeah. You can hear it. It sounds like that's where Reaper is, and uh, luckily that spun up QRF. Mm. You know, so uh, and talking to the guys that were on QRF. They pretty much like, like, bro, we, we were able to identify where you guys were because the roof was on fire. Jeez. So there were flames on the roof. Um, and that's, that's how we, like, that's where they are. Um, and so during all that, uh, par- apparently these guys were like pr- pretty well-trained foreign fighters. A lot of the stuff we captured were. You know, we weren't dealing with the folding stock AKs. These guys had solid woodstock AKs. Mm. They had magazines taped up so they could do quick changes. And they actually um, were trained at a level way above any of the Iraqi people we worked with. You know, mm. yeah. Um, and uh, some of them were, you know, Sudanese. I'd heard that. Yeah, yeah, I'd um, heard that. Wow. And uh, so it's like you know these these guys are not the same people we've been we've been fighting these guys are these guys are paid to be here yeah um and uh but yeah so did you did QRF I don't mean to interrupt but yeah. did you did you realize that even in the contact in the way that they were attacking did you feel like I mean I'm sure in the moment you don't think about these things too much but afterwards did you realize the way that they attacked that No I, was... I definitely I would I would shoot a guy um and he wouldn't stay. He, you know, if I if I shot somebody in the stairwell, he did not stay there. He was. They pretty much were running their own medevac until mm. the flatbed trucks outside. As Chris on his side and myself on my side, as we were shooting people, they were medevacing their own guys on these trucks and getting them out of there. Wow. Um. So it wasn't just like, well, he's down, leave him. Yeah. Which is kind of a more of a standard thing you see. It's like, right. Oh, oh, you know, Tony's gone. Oh well. <laughs> <laughs> Tony's replaceable. Yeah. Like, nope. Hey, these, these are our over guys. His body. Yeah. yeah. You know, to, to so to have somebody that's doing their own internal medevac, pulling their own guys off. Yeah. You um, knew something was different. It was. Yeah. So, because there wasn't just a pile of people. You know, at right. the bottom of the stairs. Um, and. Uh, well, that's something psychological too, probably, because you don't realize how many you're taking out, or how yeah. many are leaving, or yeah. going in. And. uh Yes, yeah, so I, I know. Uh, I don't know how many. I don't know if it was magazines or just bursts. But uh, Chris and I eventually realized that we are arguing in English with our QRF, who's trying to come up the stairs, and we're active. We are so on an adrenaline high and just freaked the fuck out. Yeah. Um, that uh, we're shooting at our own guys. You know, we've wow. got a, a, a squad leader down there. It's like. This is this is Sergeant So and So. We are coming. Do not shoot at us. Uh. Uh, F you. Blah, blah, blah. And, <laughs> and then you know it's just like okay, they're speaking English. Yeah. That voice sounds familiar. Um, and so we finally calm down enough to let let these guys up and yeah. you know come to our aid. Um, but you were so amped we up. We definitely exchanging fire with our own guys. Yeah. Or you know they they weren't shooting at us, but we were we were giving them a battery of 
fire <laughs> thinking uh we were still in the fight wow um and uh yeah so that's, that's what kind a of, day that's kind of what happened on the rooftop wow um what what did you find out about that afterwards and when you when you got briefed on on what happened yeah so um you know the numbers are still this is all memory uh but I know we were brought in because I think within a week or maybe the next day or two, the ODA that was on the Olsen with us hit a compound into the salt mines that are out there. And uh, same group of guys. Mm. But uh, what's crazy is, you know, like, hey, and it, so this was pretty much the ODA hit the training or the uh, the planning area for the raid that they did on us on the rooftop and so they were pictures drawings the battle plan how they're going to get guys you know what their medevac plan is mm. to get guys like okay we're the americans are on this rooftop um this is how we're going to do it it's not just like oh they're over there let's go shoot at them like, yeah they had they had a plan and they executed that plan and they were trained to operate at that level um wow which we really hadn't you know, at at an eighty second level, we'd never really seen much of that. Yeah. Um, but uh, what I, I think they they thought they thought that there was a squad. There was a you know there were there were four of us, and they thought there was eight to twelve of us on the rooftop. Um, they they thought they had shot eight of us. Um, I think think chris and i or you know throughout the thing we ended up you know maybe maybe we shot 28 guys mm. throughout this event during, wow. and you know bat you know just jeez the roots in in stairwells wow um close and, close contact yeah yeah closer than closer than you want yeah <laughs> <laughs> if you're swinging yeah. your m4 as a club you're probably in a and, place uh, you don't want to be yeah and uh so, yeah. Uh, was it, I mean, was that all... How many guys did they say attacked the position overall? Did they know? Like or 38. Were 38, yeah. 38 or more. That's that's about what I remember hearing. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, what was the end of that? How did that, how did that affect you going into those coming days? Um, next couple of days, I don't think I slept for... Uh, Uh, it was probably, I don't know, it could have been two days, could have been a week, but I, I just know I, I was so amped up and out of it, you know, mentally, I, I did, was not sleeping, and, you know, that's when XO comes in, and he's like, Eric, you, you have to sleep. Yeah. Take some Ambien, and I, I remember that, that jacked me up enough, like, it didn't, didn't help. <laughs> 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 did not put me to sleep. Uh, and you know, it didn't, didn't do what its job was, which was to, you know, to make me go, make me, make me get some rest. Um, right. I think it probably maybe, maybe made me more angry, um, and just cautious, you know, uh, to, uh, to where I finally, you know, hit my peak and then I just crashed and I crashed hard, mm. but, uh. Um, what was that crash like for you? 
pretty bad. Yeah, it was horrible. Yeah. Um, you know, and that's when, uh, you know, Chris and I start leaning on each other. Yeah. Um, because he, he's the only guy who has been through something similar, you know, uh, to what we had just done. Yeah. You know, he, he was the only guy that was there. He's the only guy to, to communicate with because, uh, you know, I've definitely told my fair share of reporters to pound sand, um, and I, th- I think Chris and I both—they're like, you know, tell us what happened, and we gave them kind of a, you know, might as well have been a paragraph, yeah, because um, I, I, it took me a ton of talking to people, um, to really kind of pull some of this out, yeah, of the the vault, you know, um, and I think that my ability to tell people uh, helped more than anything. Yeah. And, you know, it's not comfortable. It's not fun. uh, But it's probably the reason why I'm still around. Yeah. Because I think if I had suppressed it, it wouldn't, you know, it wouldn't have, would nothing would have gotten better. Yeah. Um, Well, I think too of the importance of remembering uh, Tracy and Josh. Oh, yeah. A scenario like that is so important. I mean, you know, I, I it's it's hard for me to hear. Yeah. Um, you know, that was our first guy in San Antonio. Yeah. And I, you know, I, I've heard. To me, he's a legend. Yeah. And when I walk he should, into the, he should be. He should, yeah. he should be. And I walk <laughs> into that room in El Chaparral, the Mexican restaurant near our home, and I see his jersey every time, and his picture on that wall with his, Heck you know, yeah. beret. Yeah. Uh, everybody's very proud of that man. Being yeah. from San Antonio, Military City, USA, that's how we expect a San Antonio guy to fight. Absolutely. And, you know, to, to the historical significance, of course, the Alamo. Yeah. And you see a guy like that in a situation like that, and he's working until the end. Yeah, big time. And that's that's powerful. So hearing those kinds of stories yeah. um, not only strengthens the reputation of what we already know, right, with the yeah. United States Army, but helps us as Texans and San Antonians and oh, yeah. to know a, a man like that existed and lived. Is something powerful. So I appreciate you sharing that. Yeah. That's, that's great. Um, you, in the aftermath of all that, did you, you know, you said you had a lot of difficulty and you crashed really hard. Yeah. And there were some tough times after. I mean, how how much longer did you have on that tour? You know, how, how much longer were you um, over there for? So it wasn't, was it just an extension? Because, I mean, by all, we were, that firefight took place after our one year mark so you know, we deployed there on a one year rotation and then get extended and so if we hadn't been extended we wouldn't even have been on that roof mm-hmm. right so that's that's another wow. thing you gotta it's like that mess with your head too a little bit yeah absolutely because yeah. it's like well you know if we hadn't we hadn't been extended that wouldn't have happened um and then friends would be around you know mm. um because the trip as a whole was just, we had uh, before before the rooftop, we had an IED go off and take out Kasur, uh, and then had a really big what, double stack. And again, I don't remember all the details, but basically, there's a, a buried IED hits a truck, um, and as guys are stretching, guys you know cross loading casualties. A uh, secondary device inside of a berm goes off, and then you know, like that, we lose seven guys. Jeez. And uh, 
Wow. All dead. Gone, yeah. God. And uh, it's like. Must have been massive rounds. Yeah. Yeah. And I I wasn't even. That wasn't my platoon. Right. Um, But it's. Brothers nonetheless. Friends, brothers, prior team leaders, squad leaders, you know. So you're finding the confirmation of what, you know, and you you can write all the articles you want, but Time Magazine says Samar is the most dangerous city in 2007, and you're seeing it on the ground. (laughs) You don't need to read the article. Right. (laughs) You're there in the midst of it. What what do you think, what was it that made that city so dangerous? Was Um, it an intersection of secretary and violence? Were there a lot of moving pieces going in and out of the city? I mean, it's the Golden Mosque, so you've got... Probably a higher tension as Sunnis and Shiites, um, and then it's just got lots of historic stuff going on there that just makes it hmm. a nest bed. Yeah. So you know, I I had zero involvement in uh, military intelligence at the time. <laughs> I was just, you know, you low, mean you were just a low, hammer low, hitting low, a nail? <laughs> <laughs> Lowly PFC or specialist at the time. Um, <laughs> I'm well, here, run I'm here to do my job. Yeah, yeah. Run an SKT. And they're going to tell me. They're going to tell me what my job is. You yeah. know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, the reason that you're here, see, fifteen hundred years ago, right. <laughs> the first Secretary of Violence, yeah. Muhammad killed Omar, and then, yeah. <laughs> oh, dude. Uh, so obviously, like Mosul, though you're dealing with foreign fighter contingency yeah. and it's certainly tense there because you dealt with these fighters that were and that was kind of the first thing i'd heard you know sudanese guys i'm like what that doesn't make any sense to yeah. me i mean i think i'd even heard something about somali but i don't yeah. know if oh, that's yeah. true okay yeah. so you got somali fighters there too yeah. so you're you know you're dealing with some probably contingency of al-shabaab or something yeah. like that um and and you're dealing with a different type of enemy, so that has to be all kind of trippy. You get done with this mission, and then you've got you don't have very much time left. No, I I pretty much get grounded, um, and pulled over to the arms room. Mm. Uh, yeah, and so I I think the only I only went out like a few more times. Uh, as the uh, you know I just like hey you're gonna be the XO's gunner yeah um, operate the arms room. And, uh, were, were, were guys looking at you a little different? Were they talking about you different? Yeah, you know, I did it feel weird. Probably, yeah. Why not? Why not? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you just went through hell on earth, but that's why that's why I was asking. Yeah. Did um, did you feel a sense of difference? Yeah, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know. I I think Chris's story, um, I think he was able to communicate better, or you know. Uh, Was it uh, American Spectator did a story, and uh, probably the most open we we had either of us had been with anybody uh, about what happened, and even then it's like you know I remember a million more details versus what was communicated uh, with him, right? And uh, you know when he when I when I got to see the snapshot of the article. Uh, you know, he wrote he wrote he wrote it in two different personalities, um, and he wrote Chris up, which rightly so. Chris is machine gun wielding madman, mm-hmm. you know, fighting down the stairs, and then he on my side he kind of I think he 
he said he wanted to humanize what was going on. And so mm. he kind of dialed in on my debate, my, my internal debate on eating a bullet versus jumping off a rooftop. Yeah. And so the, uh, the stories are just the way, the way he painted it. And I was just like, you know, it's not really what we discussed, man. Yeah. Um, that's disappointing. But, uh, that's what was, you know, it, nothing he wrote was wrong, but right. it's just, that's the power of the pen, you know? Yeah, it is <laughs> powerful, man. Yeah. Can't wait to shape your so story. So whatever. And then, you know, I, I eventually hit the point where, you know, people, I started getting people reach out and this, that, and the other. And it's like, hey, man, like, I don't want to fucking talk about it. Yeah. Uh, go read this article. Like, he, he wrote one. Yeah. If I talk to you, if I talk to you, uh, what's stopping you from spending it some other way? Right. Um, so. Did you talk to, did you talk to any of the family members after that? Um, so when I know when I met Tracy's parents and, uh, Josh's parents at the award ceremony, you know, all American week. Mm -hmm. Um, and Josh's dad was kind of a, you know, mythical, mythical guy. He's a, he, he was an active Green Beret at the time. Wow. You know, working on the compound, uh, on 37 or at Bragg. Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, he's he's he comes over and he's got his Oakleys on, and, uh, you know, shakes our hand and you know thanks us for you know having you you know not you know that's tough. I don't, I don't know. Uh, it was tough because you know I used to always reflect on it's like why, why me, mm-hmm. you know, um, why were these obstacles in my path for them to lose somebody and me to me to still be here right yeah uh, probably my biggest my biggest struggle that yeah. uh you deal with over time um but i guess the saving saving grace is i uh i end up getting to spend three and a half years working directly with josh's dad wow um which uh, you know, sometimes it's uh, it's a little weird, and sometimes you know I, I wouldn't change my ability to get to hang out with Joe uh, one bit. Yeah. Um, Was he when you spent time with him? Uh, did you guys have? conversations about josh did you talk about him a lot or was it kind of just always in the background it was it was a lot of background uh you know a couple times so he was joe was all teaching one school and uh and then when this event happened he immediately switched over to uh being a sniper instructor Mm. Um, because like back then we weren't allowed you know the, the big army side we weren't allowed to use uh, early warning devices um we didn't have you know other than being there and provide pulling security for ourselves we didn't have access to stuff we couldn't we wouldn't we couldn't even get a claymore you know um, Jeez. and so our event happened and i think all skt sniper stuff got shut down for a month or two and then the next thing you know anybody that goes out it's like oh Take two claymores. Take five claymores. <laughs> like, take some early warning. Take, take whatever you take, need. Take whatever you need, because um, we weren't afforded that, you know. Wow. And uh, I do know I got a. I definitely got emotional um, 
so when I was when I was at Range Thirty Seven as a sniper instructor, um, I spent my whole my whole time there on the marksmanship committee, teaching guys to shoot. Um, but a couple times, um, I'd go and not not thump my chest, but just kind of communicate. You know, I've got I get the sense that some guys are like, well, it's training, and so they finger finger drilling the some of the urban stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, you know, I have I have first hand experience on what not have not even having access to what we're trying to teach you here and at uh Sipsic. Yeah. And uh definitely got emotional a couple of times and then even that got hard to do. Yeah. You know, I'm I'm around a bunch of other warfighters also, you know, I'm and uh it just becomes tough. Yeah. You know, but uh But the the wild thing about that is Eric is you had gone through basically one of the worst scenarios you possibly could go through. I mean, I don't know too many guys short of Medal of Honor recipients who have gone through something like that. I mean, actually putting, you know, physically getting hands-on with the enemy, you know, in a situation like that, in in a situation you can never imagine short of World War II or, you know, Vietnam or, you know, those guys rocking and rolling, you know, tossing each other's skulls, you know, like it's a little different, you know, like you, you move one way and your buddy's gone. You move the other way, your buddy's gone, you know, and that's, that's just, you know, that's world war consequences. Yeah. But you know, you're dealing with the GWAT. Things are a little bit different. Missions are a little bit different. We're doing a lot more policing. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you're in a situation where it's just balls of the wall. Yep. And you know, even though you know that that can happen in any scenario, possibly, you don't really probably actively think of that happening no. or that situation occurring. So right on you to express that to the guys. Hey, I, I listen, I've seen it go real bad. Yeah. You need to take this seriously. Yeah. I'm not saying that for my own yep. chest thumping. I'm saying that so you can live longer. Yeah. Right. Like th- this, this can save your life. Yes, this can. <laughs> and trust me when I say it can. <laughs> yeah. Did, did, did a lot of guys know what you'd been through uh, when you were on your teams, or had they? Or... Uh, no, so I was. I know a, cu- a couple things happened. I know, uh, like from a from a TBI standpoint, I came back and you know Intrepid Spirit and all that stuff wasn't around at the time. Doing some of the TBI stuff they do now, uh, but uh, I remember I, I didn't. I like completely bombed. A couple of the things uh, that when they're doing your TBI screening, and the doctor's like, "Hey, you know, uh, we got one more battery of tests, and like, depending on what goes on, we might probably start your med board." Mm. Well, I guess I'm not coming back here because <laughs> <laughs> if I don't show up, you can't kick me out. Yeah, there you go. Um, <laughs> so you know, it's kind of like, well, if I talk about it. Bad stuff might happen, so yeah. you know, cl- just clamshell down even more. Yeah. Um, which is which is sad. It's not the way that it should be. Yeah, it's, it's the same thing. You know, I've had friends that tried to get in the police force, and they're like, yeah. "Oh, you you kill people?" Yeah. When in all reality, you should want that guy, right? Because you know, it's the weight of it. Yep. And uh, I, re- I remember, uh, like, I didn't want. I knew. You know, I joined the army with the intent to go. So I think I originally tried to go join as an X-ray, mm-hmm. and uh, at the time I was like, "Well, I'm not waiting six months just for an X-ray slot." So uh, I went in on a rip contract with a statement of intent 
for special forces, which really doesn't mean anything whatsoever <laughs> to anybody but the piece of paper. Um, a statement of intent, of yeah. intent not meaning something yeah. in the army. Imagine that. Yeah. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, RIP didn't work out. I'm at RIP in uh, 05, and that's when I remember it's like my second PT test, and uh, pretty much, you know, push ups, and it's like 41, 41. 41, 41. Like, am I not going down low enough? Keep doing push-ups, private. 41, 41. Is my ass too high? You know, keep doing push-ups, private. 41. Time. You have failed to. <laughs> Jeez, dude. And, uh, huh. Needs of the Army, man. <laughs> You're going to the 82nd. Oh. Um, so, you know, oh. I probably didn't, was too tall or, you know, too much red in my hair to go to Ranger Bat. <laughs> The 82nd wanted you, so, man. Yeah, so. <laughs> I'm sure things run through that mind, that yeah. in your mind though. Like, you know, I, I in that scenario that you were in, yeah, like I could have been in bat, you know. Yep, could have. Yeah, anything's but, possible. I, I I had guys who uh, you know been through scenarios not like yours because yours is very unique and very rough. But I I, I known guys that have been through situations where they question things and yeah you know they said some of the things that kind of helped them moving forward was what going well if i wasn't in the situation somebody else would have been yep absolutely and i would never wish that upon anyone yeah and and that that's what i've heard from guys in those scenarios even dating back to world war ii yeah um you know my one of the baton death march veteran that i covered his brother died in his arms yeah about two weeks in you know he starved to death and he had to, you know, he was forced to bury his own brother. Yeah. And he said, you know, even in that moment, man, 101 years old and you could see the rage in his eyes. Yeah. He said, my brother is, to me, he, he's a coward. Yeah. He gave up. 101 years old, he's saying that. Jeez, <laughs> dude. Like, you know, he can never let that go. Yeah. So, anyways, that scenario that, that you worked through was tough, but I'm sure you wouldn't wish it for anyone else no, to be in that not. situation. And uh, I, I know I definitely... I tried to hide the fact, um, you know, that I had an award or I'd been through anything because I I didn't want, I didn't want my actions to define who I was when I, when I went to selection and that when I'd been selected and I'm going through the Q course, I wanted to be where I was, um, because I, because I could perform. Yeah. Um, but even even still, like stuff, it followed me. You know, I, uh, next thing you know, I get cornered. And I think the first time I had a a mental breakthrough was at the at the Special Forces NCOPD. You know, somebody's like, "Hey, are you are you really so and so?" It's like, "Yeah, who told you?" Uh, no, you know, I've, I just heard. And uh, can, do you mind telling your story? And uh, and it's like, dude, no, no. I might as well start sharing and, uh, <laughs> hold, but, but hold. I'm with my peers. I'm not with instructors, Yeah, you know, exchanging this information. And so, you know, um, but I, I had an ear to a lot of younger guys and it's like, well, you know, this is, this is what a bad day can be like. Yeah. Um, and so, and I talked about it and it's like, man, it felt, I felt better with myself being able to sit down and have that very, very difficult conversation, you know, reliving what just happened. Um, 
And, you know, I don't know why I had a mental breakthrough, but it's just like, man, I, I, I shared. None of it was comfortable. Um, but it feels, you know, mentally I have some more clarity and I just feel like a weight's been kind of lifted off of me versus squirreling it in and uh, trying to play a tough guy. Yeah. Um, but Wait. then uh, I think I was in I was in Robin Sage, and I'm up with our Echo. We're setting up a and it, we're laying out an antenna, and somebody in my in my Robin Sage class comes running up and he's like, uh, you know, so and so is at the camp. They need to see you right now. It's an emergency, and you know, so I remember sprinting. It was probably two miles um, from the top of the hill I was at to get back to the G base, and then from the G base to meet up with the instructor and I get there and uh you know he's like he's like so you got some explaining to do he's like a a one star showed up and wanted to shake your hand but you took too long (laughs) (laughs) so he left but tell me more And uh, you know, it's like, oh shit, this cat's out of the bag now. <laughs> <laughs> forget, forget holding on to that secret. Yeah, I remember, I remember being furious because yeah. I was told one thing, you know. So I'm going through my head, it's like, well, my wife's home, so is she hurt? She dead? She yeah. car car wreck? You know, what what is the emergency that I that I need to run back? It wasn't. There's a one star that wants to shake your and hand. You're like, well, that's not an emergency. Um, yeah. like, I definitely would have walked. Uh, <laughs> Maybe backwards. <laughs> right um yeah wow and uh yeah so it um, came back through your career at times it, yeah it yeah. came back and i i know i originally went to a ruck team when i you know when i finally get to group i show up hold to, on just one second yeah. i'm gonna stop that yeah let me pause it do you remember where we're at yeah okay go ahead so i, I get to 10th group and uh end up going to a ruck team and uh i'm on the ruck team for maybe two months and then it's like hey we're sending you over to three four so i get moved to the halo team and uh funny enough the halo team googles my name once i've been assigned to them and like the first thing that pops up is a picture of me shaking president bush's hand Mm. and uh and as i'm cleaning up my wall locker chris my the ruck team sergeant is like hey dude you have a DSC? Yeah. He's like, you didn't tell us. <laughs> it's not my job to want this shit. You yeah. know, I've never, never gone out of my way to be like, look, look at this. Yeah. Um, and plus, it's and, not, and he's it's like, not something you want either. Yeah. He's like, well, if I had known, I would have fought to keep you. <laughs> it's like, well, but. I'm going to a Halo team. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds way more fun, man. Yeah. I want to go to the Halo team anyway. <laughs> That's and, funny, uh, man. And, you know, but now now I show up to a brand new, a new, you know, I just hit my first team, and now I've got another group of new guys that I've got to, you know, I'm 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 the FNG now, and uh, all, all over again. and uh, But this time I'm, like, cornered. What's your story? Mm. Tell us everything. And, uh, so, you know, at that point there is no hiding it anymore. Yeah. Um, so 
and it, 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 it didn't hurt me anymore. So it didn't, you know, it never did me any favors. Yeah. Uh, which is, you know, that's all I really could have asked for. It's like, I don't want, I don't want something to overshadow mm-hmm. something for, for me. Yeah. Um, and and you were at the time you were nominated for the Medal of Honor, right? And they downgraded it. Is that what happened? Uh, yeah. yeah. And then uh, when I was, I'm about ninety eight percent sure when they were doing the relooks for stuff, I was in the hospital, my leg broken in half, and uh, fun was on a bunch of meds. And I remember I told the the Green Beret Foundation called. Wanting to provide some support, um, just because I had a relationship with those guys. Yeah. Um, and I'm pretty sure they're like, hey, you know, we, we this is kind of our protocol for when a guy gets hurt. <laughs> like, F you. Um, you know, I got hurt skydiving with guns. Um, keep keep your support for guys that get hurt in combat. <laughs> and I pretty much told them to pound sand and like leave leave me alone. I'm fine. I'm in a hospital in America. Yeah. Um, <laughs> your, like, your foundation <laughs> dollars could definitely you know uh go, go, go help somebody else yeah yeah and at the same time i there was uh i cussed out one other somebody else called and they wanted they wanted a story and so i'm 90 percent sure it was the relook board mm. like hey we need you to you know show up for this meeting da, 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 da. i'm like I'm not talking to I'm not talking to anybody. <laughs> you know? Uh, no, I was not that nice by any means because I was on some serious pain meds. Yeah. Um, but uh, bro, that was your medal of honor. <laughs> Whatever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, know. you don't strike me as the guy who needs that. <laughs> I'm, I'm fine, man. Yeah. I already got too many. You know what happened that day too? Yeah. You 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 lived through those guys. Yep. Yeah, I don't need to validate your experience yeah yeah so what did you enjoy your time in special operations did you like that man i loved every second of it um now i spent stayed on the halo team um got to do a a standard oda deployment and do or deployment and do what green braves are supposed to do you know we're training training other people to fight for their country yeah um i got a good flavor on doing human intelligence. Okay. Um, getting way squirrelier than I definitely should have. There's moments I look back and it's like, you know, you've, you've been by yourself in this country flapping in the past. And now you're putting your, now I'm putting myself in these positions um, for doing human intelligence stuff. And it's like, this is, this is not safe. Mm. This is not safe. <laughs> <laughs> but I do have a satchel full of twelve hand grenades over here. Yeah. So it's like, oh, I'm gonna go out, fist of fury. <laughs> you know, uh, Did you? Were there some situations over there that were pretty nerve wracking being in that uh, space? Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and like, like, gotta watch what I say because I didn't, yeah, no, totally. I, I, you I'll, see I'll me resort, searching. I'll, re- I'll resort back to like, um. Growing up as a kid and just not really asking for permission to do stuff, <laughs> and, uh, and and you see me and I'm yeah. like, what what yeah. what happened? Yeah. So, so, oh. No, I mean whatever you can can't yeah. share. I understand. So. I get it. Yeah, totally. Yeah, anything you can't share, anything that you do remember from that side that really um, you enjoyed or, or I, I was... just remember I I liked uh, 
I really got to get my 18 Charlie or my engineer on um, with my first my first ODA trip because it's uh, we shut down shut down a fob or team house and then pretty much was given carte blanche like build it and they will come uh, kind of thing. So I got to kind of and again I, I go back to like I was very good at wearing myself out. Because it's like, you know, most of the team is doing down cycle or they're sleeping during the day and we are, we're doing stuff at night. And, uh, but the can't, the, the fob we're on operates during the day. And so if I'm trying to get stuff done, whether it be building or putting up T walls, you know, we didn't have an MWRAS. So one day I just get this wild hair. So I'm going to build a 40 by 60 building from scratch because I feel like we need a place to, <laughs> to decompress, you know, just everybody spends time in their shoes and they don't go anywhere. And I have terrain I can, I can get or acquire wood. And yeah. So I just started, started building hmm. and, uh, but you know, it went from mud to shower houses, talk, um, um bunk bunks, wiring in, uh, electric electricity and, Nice. I'm doing, you know, it reminds me of MASH when I, when I think back to like Radar, Radar O'Reilly. He's like, well, you know, I got this helicopter that I traded, you know, I traded Jeep parts for this and got this. And uh, I remember I ended up with an Alaskan generator. So this thing's outfitted for Arctic temperatures. And I'm trying to modify it to not die in Iraq in 120 <laughs> degree temperatures because it's nothing but overheating. So it's like, what can I cut off? Um, and again, it's like, well, grab a book and the time to become a diesel generator mechanic um, <laughs> and just figure it out. Yeah. Because uh, at the end of the day, the, like, I'm the char- I'm the only Charlie on the team, so everybody's looking at me like, well, what's going to happen? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we need you. We need do, you to function properly. Will we have power? Will we have showers? Yeah. <laughs> or do I have to walk and uh, you know, walk a half mile to somewhere that does? Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, Cause not all, cause I'm sure not all 18 Charlies are created equal. <laughs> and then some guys yeah. might be dealing yeah. with the, <laughs> that half mile walk and then other and ones. Some, guy, some guys just really get down on the demo side and some yeah. guys are builders and uh, I like to, I hope I was pretty well-rounded. Yeah. Um, looking back. Yeah. How long, how long were you on the team in the teams for, uh, how long yeah. were you with 10th group? 2009 to 18. Okay. Yeah. Well, nine years. It rough, roughly. Yeah. Best guess. Is <laughs> <laughs> you really thoroughly enjoyed that time, but yeah. that time was cut short, right? Yeah. Um, you wanted to stay in, I'm sure. Did you want to retire? Was that your goal? Yeah. Um, yeah. you know, and I've had conversations with guys about that because, uh, you know, you look out and like what's safe well doing my job and being operationally proficient is what's safe mm-hmm. right um and a lot of guys look like okay well i'm a you know prior job infantry all right that doesn't translate to the civilian population very good like okay well you can go you want to be a cop you know, security contractor it's kind of what you can do as an infantryman if you're staying with what the military taught you you know, um, same thing as an engineer. Okay, well, I also have construction, but uh, it's like, well, do I want to still play with explosives and do that, or you know, that's that's still dangerous. Yeah, still dangerous. Uh, it's still dangerous, uh, or you know, whatever. And uh, I uh, 
throughout my time, I always had a bunch of hobbies. Uh, and I guess I really kind of jump-started everything when I ended up getting a job at, out at Range 37 as a sniper instructor. That's where I really got to you know know and get to become friends with Joe. Um, but that that afforded me the ability to have time to explore. You know, it wasn't um, deploy home, rest, training, well, home, away, training, deploy, going through just a cycle of <clears throat> you're kind of, you're kind of home, but even when you're not home, you're you're busy with stuff. Um, yeah. But as an instructor, it's like, well, we have we teach three hours in the morning and we teach three hours in the afternoon. Um, so that's about all you know. A student can take three hours behind a rifle and then they're pretty much done looking through magnified optics and then they'll go and get uh field craft or you know more sniper trade stuff so right precision shooting sniper trade stuff three three and three and we have split the class in half and so as a marksmanship instructor it's like well i can look at the thing like as long as targets and ammo and a place to do this is set up it doesn't require much more brain power um, so I had all this time, you know, so that's, I got a six hour day with set up at the beginning and the end. So it's like, well, all this time. And so started machining stuff. Or I had an idea, um, for a data board to just to help the sniper community. Cause I went to a competition and, uh, had a yard sale, like just a gear yard sale, just stuff everywhere. It had no way to manage what I thought I needed <laughs> for this team, team competition event. And, uh, well, I came up with a solution, um, machine the first one on, or I had a friend make the first one and then I ended up buying a machine, making it. And then you know, the next thing you know, it's like, man, I really hate turning dials on a machine to make these <laughs> widgets. And, uh, and this is where, you know, deep dive. It's like, well, uh, maybe I can turn this into a robot. Uh, so I ended up designing and building my own CNC machine from scratch. I take my existing dial machine and build it into a CNC machine. And then, uh, now funding's a problem because I'm just, uh, you know, an E E six or E seven in the army, um, with a family. And, uh, so my, my ability to do this, well, so, Hey, uh, maybe I can do some, start doing this. So I started getting into gunsmithing, Mm -hmm. you know, making, uh, machining on slides and just kind of fitting stuff up for, uh, for three gun and nip six shooters, uh, racing stuff out. And then that grew in, you know, next thing you know, I, I've funded a lathe and that, so now I'm, now I'm spinning barrels and making precision bolt guns for guys. Wow. Um, and then my DIY CNC funds, a, a Tormach. So now I've got a, like a, hobby like a higher end hobby class machine and that just further lethalizes my ability to get creative and do some weird stuff um and so it slowly turns into a paying hobby and uh i guess the one thing like i can reflect on back now is like the more i did some of that stuff the more miserable i got hmm um because i i kind of i did a uh a a river trip with a, and it was my first time, uh, not having a military sounding board. Mm. So, you know, I'm with, there's seven guys on the trip. I got six guys that aren't military. 
and uh, we're talking, and uh, like, what do you do? Like, oh, I, you know, I do firearms manufacturing because at this point I'm retired. I'm retired from the army, and uh, you know, and the more the more I'm having this conversation, it's like, dude, I am not happy with what I'm doing. Um, you know, I started wanted to make a widget, and then to fund my own internal continued education, I turned to it. You know. I had this direction, and then the money said gunsmithing, and then the next thing you know, it's like, yeah, I'm good doing gunsmithing, and I am miserable. <laughs> um, and those guys are like, well, do something about it. You know? Yeah, yeah, change change your path. And uh, it's like, you know what, you're right. But uh, that's easier said than done when you're in sure. the moment. Yeah. Um, but so at this river trip, um, Rob and I had met. And we had had discussions in the past. Um, and at the time, it was like, hey, you've got, you know, I've, right now, I'm a one-man band doing this. Do um, you think you could do this? And it's like, uh, you know, I, I lacked the ability at the time to say no to people. Um, and I was I was not sad about telling Rob, like, I, I yes, I can do this. It wasn't, it wasn't firearms related. Um, and so we start kind of communicating and then Rob pitches, you know, he's like, Hey man, uh, this is, this is kind of where I'm at. I'd love to, what do you think about this? Yeah, man, sounds good. So I almost completely drop all firearms work, um, immediately and kind of switch gears. And, you know, that's led us to where we are now. Um, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what you guys do is rad, man. Yeah. Like getting to uh be there in the space with you and watch you design and listen, I've been around a lot of knife makers being in the veteran space, right? Yeah. Like it's 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 one of the ones that you see a lot. There's something about forging. Yeah. There's something about creating. Oh yeah. There's something about that that becomes a therapy. It's beautiful to watch. Big it time. really is. Watching these guys pound out hard steel. I mean we're fighters. Yep. We're violent. <laughs> it's what we do. <laughs> Instead of running that, running from that, we need to placate that. But we need to find a way to placate that in a healthy yeah. format. You know, not where we, you know, become, you know, John Wayne Gacy and you know, just start, <laughs> you know, cutting skin and making lampshades. You know, we, yeah. we need to find a way to do it healthily. And, you know, you know, what's funny is so much of society, I think, is a, and I don't want to say so much. I guess a lot of society, I would say, is afraid of us. Uh, because we've been committed ourselves to something that's different. We committed ourselves to something that's violent, an yeah. occupation. And society is scared of that nowadays, even though it's a necessity. Yep. Violence is a necessity. And when you try to train that out of young men, you get a you get a bad pattern of health. Yeah. Uh, you start seeing actually more violence in yep. more destructive, terrible ways. It comes out in other ways. It's natural to be violent for men. Yeah. So it's cool to watch it patterned into something beautiful where yep. you're, you know, you're doing it in a much more healthy way than in our army days of doing something we had to do. Yeah. Now you're able to sit there and you're able to create these artistic pieces and they are art. You made me a piece. Yeah. Uh, it'll be up on the project uh, website on the pictures and everyone will get to see that on the social media. Beautiful work. Yeah. Uh, our logo looks amazing on that piece. <laughs> and uh, I put my, you guys asked me about a serial number, and I, I kept thinking about 
Carter Chick. Yeah. And I kept thinking about that day that, you know, I got the I got the call and I heard that he'd taken his own life. And uh, that day, you know, some people might say, well, why didn't you put his birthday on there? Or why didn't you put the day that he left service? But for me, that day is significant because my burning drive and desire to do what I do full time. Yeah. That gave me the edge that I needed to make this a full time work. So when people say, are you tired, Tim? So I'm not that tired. Yeah. <laughs> not that tired. Yeah. I'm a little tired, but I'm not tired enough to give up. Yeah. And uh, I think about that day a lot, but I think about it in a positive way. Yeah. Because I think about my burning drive and desire to do this. So all that to be said, you create incredible art. Gunfighter design is rad. Yeah. I love it. What do you love the most about what you guys are doing in knife making? What What do you like about your partnership with Rob? And what do you enjoy the most about it? Uh, Rob and I are very two we're two different people. You guys are very different. Um, <laughs> but it, I guess you know what kind of founded it is. Uh, so Rob and I met at Josh's retirement party. Um, you know, so I'm a custom gun maker, Rob's a custom knife maker. Yeah. And uh, you had actually, and to preface this all, you had actually made us a gun yep. for a raffle we had like a year ago. We didn't know each other. Yeah. And then all this connection of you knowing Tracy <laughs> and San Antonio and all this, I mean, instantly I was like, I want to know this guy. Yeah. Um, because I had heard that story from you at the restaurant and then getting to know you through the raffle, you already had our logo, which yeah. is really cool. Um, <laughs> so that connection is really awesome. But. Uh, I just say that and bring that up yeah. to say we did have a little bit of prior history and yeah. working together and we didn't even know it. Yep. And uh, yeah, where was I at? You were forming. You, you guys, how did you, you oh, talk yeah. about how you came together? Yeah. And so when, uh, with Elite Outdoors, uh, Josh, my last business partner, he built a, we did a uh, ELDC leadership dynamic course with the Green Bay Packers. Okay. Most of their rookie players and then one or two tenured tenured guys and uh is rob had been in in a uh robin rob and his wife had been hit by a drunk driver so his car was totaled um and so it's you know josh is like hey uh you're you're going to this event do you think rob could ride with you and it's like absolutely you, uh you know and so i have this conversation with rob I was like you're welcome to ride with me but like there's one catch like i've never really traveled anywhere without a you know today's tuesday morning and i have to be halfway across the country tuesday night um i was like dude my plan is to leave like four days beforehand and if i'm driving and i see something that looks cool and it's two hours out of the way i'm gonna drive two hours out of the way you're see, my you're my kind see, of traveler and see something cool you know i've never done this before and uh we still didn't take the time to like build a plan other than like, well, the Grand Canyon's on the way, so let's let's check that <laughs> let's check that out. Um, yeah. Never been there before, and uh, so we're driving and oh Mesa Verde, what's that? Go check out Mesa Verde, you know, to the national park. Yeah, and then like, oh, what's that? Let's go check this out. Yeah, and, uh, or well, wait, hey, screw it, let's let's stay here for the night. But they, we're able to communicate. You know, we talk, and uh, I ended up bringing all my, you know, my son at the time was doing blacksmithing and so i had tooled you know my son is uh giving giving me shit because he's like you have you have all these tools but you can't even forge a knife um but when he goes to class he can forge knives <laughs> so I was like i thought you had everything I was like, oh 
you know, watch this. <laughs> so, <laughs> so next, you know, I've fully tooled up for forging. And, uh, so this comes up and it's like, well, you know, we, we probably need two forges. So I end up bringing all my smithing stuff and I'm there teaching a long range, like an intro to long range for the players, um, just to kind of give them another discipline to kind of see, uh, a, a snapshot or a glimpse of, and, uh, but in the evenings, it turned into Rob and I out there with the Packers forging, forging, making making railroad spike knives, and uh, it was really cool to see, kind of what that did to guys. You know, it's you you know we have elite military guys, and you have elite performance athletes. Um, you know, but it's like we we both spend most of our lives operating at a certain level, um, which is the same thing just one has weapons and the other one doesn't but that's that doesn't make it one better than the other you know you're operating to the best of your ability um because i originally went into this thing and it's you know people were like hey you know don't get don't get shell shocked because they're really fancy nfl players and it's like i don't care if you make popcorn man uh <laughs> <yeah>, i'm not <laughs> i'm not gonna get shell shocked because some some player is here or not here or whatever. Yeah. Um, so I was really surprised just with some of the relationships we built there. But, uh, you know, spending that time with Rob and get it, really getting to know each other, just having truck camera. I don't think we had the radio on the entire drive there or back. Mm. Um, it was talking the whole time. That's cool. And I think it was maybe... A month or two after that, you know, I was starting to hit rock bottom with uh, the gun stuff. You know, the phone rings or a new order comes in and I just want to hide under the desk <laughs> um, versus responding to what's going, what's needed done. Uh, and so when, you know, Rob's like, hey, what do you think about uh, doing a partnership on, on Gunfighter mm -hmm. and uh, let's, let's grow something great. That's and, cool. Uh, so, like, we have really big plans mm. with, uh, you know, the the initial the initial hurdle we're dealing with right now is we need right now we own a job we need to turn that into a business, um, and then once we once we once we get to where we're owning the business, you know, we doing all the forging stuff. We don't forge our own knives. Our mm. our knives are we do stock removal, um, because that's more of a business that we can build and grow right um scalable yeah um but the more we do forging with guys especially veterans we've done a couple things with the uh, special forces foundation based out of colorado and uh getting guys out there where we really see the the therapeutic benefit to uh you know you can put a serious amount of hate into a piece of hot iron um and you see how much it can benefit somebody because mm. um, you know a lot of guys don't get out and create with their hands and uh, there's nothing more raw than taking 2000 degree metal and <laughs> bending it to your will with some you know some blisters yeah cut or two or burner burn here and there and uh, guys just like man this is the feedback the verbal feedback it's just mm -hmm. you know i i don't you know tired but i just i have more mental clarity 
Yeah. After smashing away on this railroad spike to make something cool. Mm. Um, and so we really want to kind of take that and grow it into something just massive um, that can benefit, you know, every, everybody. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, so it's just kind of figuring out how, how do we, how do you scale that? How do we, how do we do that? Right. So when we, you know, you talked a little bit, I want to go back a little bit cause yeah. you talked about your career kind of ending in, in a strange way. Yeah. Um, can, can you talk a little bit about that? Because you did not have yeah the you didn't Operation Proper Exit <laughs> did not come back around for that one yeah for sure what what, what happened I was in day? a uh, free fall or an MFF military free fall uh, recall down in Eloy and uh, my exit was flawless <laughs> and uh, it was a it was a hey ho or high altitude high open. And so we're in a canopy, and the entire flight, you know, my, my parachute performance is normal. Um, I am stay and remain five-man in the stack. Mm. The whole way down, we hit uh, we hit 1,000, and we hit our base leg, 500. And when we turned on, when I made that final uh, parachute adjustment on base leg for five, at 500 feet, uh, out of nowhere, I start passing people. And I wasn't not doing parachute corrections to stay back in the stack, even though you know I'm, I'm definitely have always been a heavy drop um, from a team stance. So uh, you know, so I I should be falling faster than my peers, mm. um, but I wasn't. You know, I'm I have no problems just flying in the stack. I'm five man, hit five hundred, just start passing people, and like, this is. It just didn't feel right, but mm-hmm. at 500, you don't you don't make major corrections. Mm-hmm. Last thing you want to do is partially collapse part of your parachute and fall faster, right? And not have enough time for your parachute to, you know, reinflate and provide you with more stability. And uh, so I performed PLF to the best of my ability at the the speed I was coming down at, and uh, pretty much hit the only rock in the field oh, with my left leg. Um, I'm it's probably got my signature on it somewhere in a team room. <laughs> and uh, I've gone out to Eloy. I, I should look next time yeah. and see if it's on the ground out there. Signed. And, uh, <laughs> but you know, it it happened, and like, uh, man, my leg does not feel like it's in its normal direction. Uh, Ouch! And so, like, and this is all like my team has told me this because I don't remember much of it, but. Uh, like bro you you waited until you when when you when the whole team's landed everybody calls in in sequence i was like hey you know one man up two man up and in the and uh like uh, this is eric (laughs) pretty sure i need a medic and uh and so first guy you know they start running and so that you know we're in a cotton field um and first guy runs over and I guess he sees a bunch of bone hanging on my leg. And so he turns green, you know, blah. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and so my junior medic, uh, sees him turn green. And he's like, well, Eric must be over there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> starts running over and, uh, and starts getting to work. Meanwhile, my, my senior medic is stuck in a tree, you know, oh, wow. like, like feet, you know, might as well have been three feet off the ground. And, uh, so the DZSO party is like, 
the guy stuck in the tree is hurt. Like that's got to be so yeah, that's him. The you know medevac starts driving over to senior medic, and he's arguing with the riggers. He's like, "I'm gonna cut away," and like, "Don't you cut away?" Because <laughs> um, he's like, "I just need to get out of this this thing, so I can get to my guy." And uh, <laughs> so I'm pretty sure he ends up cutting away, and shows up, and that's when they start going. You know, I have no pulse in my leg; it's bent off at you know probably probably beyond ninety degrees of where it's supposed to be. Jeez, and. Uh, they go to start pulling traction, and I, I think I swing at swing at the medic, swing at swing at Rob, and you know it's like ketamine to the arm. Like here's, <laughs> 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 so you know now now they're putting turn turn they apply a tourniquet, and I'm really just giving them some verbal abuse because you know you can do tourniquets as much as you want in training, but they fucking hurt. Oh yeah, and so I'm telling them like get this thing off me. This is not okay. <laughs> <laughs> And it's like, this is for your good, man. Yeah. You, you need this tourniquet, bro. Uh, and then I started having the argument. I think I, so I ended up getting three shots of ketamine because I kept swinging and fighting. You know, I'm fighting the guys trying to save my leg yeah. at this point. Um, with the starting of, like, yeah, I think I need a medic. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so I ended up arguing with Rob. Um, cause like we got to cut his pants. He has no pulse. And, yeah. you know, I'm wearing the Gucci gen three cry pants. And I'm like, dude, I just got these. Do not cut my fucking pants. <laughs> um, and so, you know, they start piling my kit on my chest and I'm, he's down there shaking his head with scissors in his hands. Like, I'm not, I'm not cutting your pants as he's cutting my pants. <laughs> um, then I just can't see it. Yeah. And, uh, so they get the traction device on. I swing at the. Uh, I swing again. That's when it's like third shot of ketamine, fentanyl lollipop in the mouth, <laughs> and you know now I'm now I'm on cloud nine, <laughs> and uh, like all I really have to show for it is I've got some cries with a cut leg, and I have a, I took a shit ton of selfies on the life flight aircraft going from Eloy, <laughs> so I was like <laughs> smoozing it with the crew, taking yeah. taking pictures on the helicopter ride. Um, <laughs> from Eloy to Scottsdale. Oh boy. Wow. <laughs> did you did you you notice that there was something wrong? Did you look up at your chute and see anything or was No. There, no? Uh, I mean it was like 500 feet. That that comes quick. Yeah. Uh, and uh, it's especially when I'm I was definitely more focused on why am I passing my peers. Yeah. But uh you know I'm not I can't really do much corrections other than try and have my best PLF which right. you know I I obviously messed something up with my PLF, you know, even though I've done it a ton. Yeah. Um, do you know how fast you were moving when no, you hit the I ground? No. Pl- yeah. Pl- you're obviously moving pretty yeah. fast. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, uh, you know, dealing with, with that was, you know, a whole nother set of challenges. Um, cause I've pretty substantial permanent nerve damage in my leg yeah you know so like the kid or one of my kids will drop a weight on my foot or drop something heavy on my foot and i know something was dropped on my foot but i don't feel the pain from that right um wow and then i had you know the drill they they did a experimental procedure i guess um because i'm talking to my surgeon at carson and i'm you know i'm getting pretty flustered and arguing with him about stuff and he's like hey he's like he's like hey bro uh to put it in perspective 
for all intents and purposes, you were supposed to have a below the knee amputation. And the, the surgeons at Phoenix tried an experimental thing on your leg and you get to keep it. Mm. Um, so he's like, don't get all bent out of shape because you have a gash in your patella and you're having knee problems now. He's like, you're, you have a leg. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 And, uh, until, you know, that, that puts a different spin on things, but still, you know, it's like, well, uh, talking to surgeons, like, well, you can't jump anymore. You, your you know, bones, bones have some pliability to them. You know, muscle tissue supports some tendons. They all act as a unit, uh, mm. function. And he's like, but you now have reinforced concrete. You have titanium rods, pins, plates everywhere. And because they're full length, like your neck, your next injury is going to send your reinforced tip fib up to your knee and now so your next injury is above is it above the knee amputation more or less so to protect mm. you from you you're not jumping right um which means well okay i can't lead men now because you have to be you have to be able to perform jump master duties to take the team and uh, my sergeant major at the time uh pretty much sits me down you know he he had a uh, i think it was a fractured pelvis but so he'd been labeled as a broken guy mm-hmm. and was able to climb out of that hole and uh so he's like while while i'm here you have you have top coverage you have protection like you the best thing for you is to be around your your peers Uh um not not section you off and put you at ops or some staff job where you're just he's like you're gonna wither away and i know that's not good for anybody mentally and so um he eventually sits me down you know when i'm talking to the surgeons and they're like you're not you're not going to be operationally proficient again um, you know, if you, if you had left, basically it comes down to if I had, if I had had an amputation, I could have put on an adaptive device and maintained operational status. Mm. Like you, so it's like, well, if I had, so if I have a robot leg, I can do more yeah. than with my own leg. And like, yeah, pretty much. Um, and, uh, cause the longest time I was like, dude, I can't be a quitter, but it's like, I, you know, what else, what am I going to do? Right. Um, and that way, that you know, I think that that change going from being operationally capable to not, um, and trying to you know figuring out what I can I still do in life, how do I live my best life, coupled with um, retirement. When I first got out, I was by myself doing gunsmithing stuff, and felt felt flat on my face. Um, made the switch to do some handyman work and just realized that I hate customers. Um, you know, uh, doesn't matter who they are, but you know, if I've got a client who has to sit in the same room while I'm doing work and watch me, you know, which for whatever reason, lack of trust or handyman have a bad rap or construction guys have a bad rap or, you know, whatever. Um, it's just like, I, was not good, so pretty much fell flat on my face there. Um, and then partnered up with Josh. Mm-hmm. We had to lead outdoors for a good while, uh, but again, I kind of fell back into a dark circle with the gunsmithing stuff. Like the money's good, um, but if I'm not passionate about it, you know, I have a really hard time putting drive into what I'm doing. Um, versus like the, the knife stuff. It's like, dude, I, I wholeheartedly I'm passionate about what Rob and I are building and what we're doing. And I, I have zero issues selling this product that we're putting out, um, which is huge for me. 
Where do you, where, where do you want this to go? What do you want this to be? Like we talked a little bit about it yeah. uh, earlier, but yep. what what do you want Gunfighter Design to to look like in the future? Um, so I mean, step one, build a production knife company. Um, but step two, uh, you know, there's I've had a lot of conversations with guys who are like, hey, you retired and you seem to be doing all right. Like, uh, and you're still dealing with stuff. So, you know, what do you, what do you think? And I said, well, you know, I have, I have X, Y, Z. I I have a million hobbies. I can't see something and want to do it and then not create a whole new spinoff hobby from that. Um, that's just kind of who I've always been. Mm -hmm. I might not know how to do that, but I'm going to figure it out. And now, okay, well now I've added hobby 127 to my list. Um, But it, the more and more Rob and I do these things where we're teaching, you know, intro to blacksmithing or just allowing guys to make something with their hands, the more we both we both we both benefit from doing this for other people. And it's not it's not a monetary benefit; it's a it's a internal benefit. Um, and so, I I really think there's something there. Um, and I guess, I guess the other side of it is Rob. You know, I've done a few veteran events where it's like, Hey, we're going to take you fishing. We're going to take you on this hunt or whatever. Um, we got this reset button and, uh, you know, they are phenomenal, great events. Mm. But at the same time, when you get back, you know, the kids are still screaming or the honey's do list isn't any shorter. Mm-hmm. And so you get a short term benefit, not a long term benefit. Um, so kind of what we want to build is a space cause not everybody has the capability to just go and have, you know, shops are expensive. Um, but if we can create a space for guys, you know, create this epic maker space and then, and not like I initially wanted like full, full tilt, you know, a good space for vets and, you know, broken people to come and just learn a skill um you know learning to hunt or fish clean a fish clean an animal that's that's an important life skill but if i can get you and teach you how to create something with your hands um and then have the ability for you know i don't still don't know how we'll fund it but if if i can create a space that's funded whether it be through the knife you know production knives or whatever but okay man this is open for you come and we teach you how to you know turn not turn turn pins on a lathe or you know rob and i both have a background in metal fab so hey we're gonna do a how to how to make a uh how to bend tube and tig weld it into a uh a rally car and do a roll cage that's cool stuff you know that's stuff that we both do um we both do full metal stuff woodworking and bring in bring in specialists like i've got a friend brandon who all he does is make some of the best wooden plaques I've seen. And uh, so have Brandon come in, talk about, you know, trials, tribulations of owning this job he's created and, you know, how can we help him turn it into a business um, and just grow. Cause Mm. I, I I really, so I think I've been to morbid, but I think I've been to four five, five memorials this year already. 
and uh you know i really just believe that if you sit around and read books all day um you know in in old age that's one thing but i've got a friend of bruce um in his late 90s i think late 80s and uh he builds gorgeous cedar strip boats now seen these yeah and uh you know there's longevity in guys that that create stuff with their hands people you know artists um you can sit around and read all the books you want but if you're not actively pouring your mind heart and soul and body into something um you know i think you lose longevity yeah um if you sit around and question the only question you have today is well what bar am i going to go get drunk at today uh you know that's not that's not longevity versus mm-hmm. um you know hey let's 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 get these guys and teach them this and then afford them the opportunity uh to come back and continue to create not just not just come for a three-day snapshot mm-hmm. um but like I mean, we're in the spring so we've got access to <laughs> we can pull you know even even molding young minds like at the air force academy you know uh, we've got Air Force Academy, Peterson Air Force Base, Shriver Air Force Base, NORAD, Fort Carson. So, I mean, there's a, a massive pool of people that, you know, could need, could benefit from something. Yeah. Um, but if your only hobbies are job performance in the military, alcohol and tobacco, like, you know, you're not, you, I don't think you're going to have longevity. Um, For sure. You know, because... Yeah. <laughs> no, that's the truth. What do you do you think that's helped you through some of your stuff? Do you think, you know, in cuz cuz what you you know, I I know I keep going back to that day, but yeah. what you went through in that occurrence, it, it's it's terrifying. Yeah. It changes your brain. I mean, going through something like that, we're not meant to go through that as humans. Um, you know, I believe as a Christian that there's sin in this world. And so bad things happen. Yeah. And, you know, we can, you know, I've had people come to me and say, well, how would all those people die? And, you know, how how could this happen to my father? How could yeah. this happen to my mom? And I say, well, you know, think about the World Trade Center. You think that any of those people weren't good Christians? Yeah. Of course they were. And they gave, they had the option between fire or jump? Yeah. Dear God, man, how awful do you think that decision was? Oh yeah, misery, misery or quick misery. I dealt with that. Yeah, was... and you're in that moment. There's that. Yeah, you you you've got the fire. You've got the jump. Yeah, and you made it out. And even though I'm sure that's tough to deal with at times, what a blessing. Yeah, you've been a, giving a continuation in life. And I know for a fact is I know the you know I I know that those guys would have wanted you to continue on. Yeah, they would want you to be kicking butt in life because that's the kind of guys that those guys are um how has that helped you and what you're doing now you know has that been therapeutic to you in keeping moving from a creation standpoint yeah yeah absolutely um you know it's almost like a a mask um i'm able i or i maybe it's a distraction but it's a controlled distraction you know yeah um Distraction therapy. Yeah. Yeah. But it, it allows, it it requires, you know, active brain involvement. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm 
I have to be creative. I have to, and it's all, you know, it's almost a sickness of, uh, you learn a skill, perfect that skill, but it's, a, I think it's probably my addiction is like, what's next? Like, well, what? <laughs> <laughs> how, how much more can I add to my Rolo decks? <laughs> Um, before I run out of space. Yeah. So I love, I love hearing that though, because you know, you know, one thing that I've noticed with the world war two guys and them coming back, of course they, they had victory, right? Yeah. And that's huge. Right. That's, that's massively impactful, uh, yep. in a positive, you know, PMA, we talk about PMA all day. You know, yeah. I hear that from my seventh group buddies, right? <laughs> uh, <laughs> the cultured ones. Yep. <laughs> um, you know, when you think about that, I remember uh, Paul Merriman from Iwo Jima. He fought on Iwo Jima, and he, he, you know, he stepped on the island with 144 guys, and he ended up, you know, being one of the three or whatever that walked off on his own power. Yeah. Um. And in he tells me all these horrifying stories. You know, watching one of his guys go left, and you know, reduced to, uh, just you know, pink mist. Yeah. And then to his right, same thing. And then he makes one decision and he lives. And he said all the time, you know, he said, I didn't have time to think about it. Yeah. Why I was staying alive every day. I yeah. don't know why that happened. And he said, and we saw the flag go up on Mount Suribachi. And, he, you know, beautiful moment. He said, that was the only, that's the only U.S. flag that I've ever known. Yeah. Was that flag going up on the hill. Yeah. And he said, you know, in between that and then watching, you know, Japanese jump in their caves and, you know, with grenades strapped to their chest and killing themselves in front of the guys and, you know, trying to kill his guys. And, yeah. And then watching one of his buddies, you know, coming back. One of the guys from his unit coming back with ear necklaces every morning and, like, losing his ever-loving mind. Yeah. And in, 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 in between, so all these horrors in combat that he experiences, right and left, constant combat, fighting every day, day in, day out. And then finally he gets hit with a pineapple grenade in the lower back and you know, gets removed from the island. But there was one sequence of events where they had four or five guys charging this one hill. Corporal Unger was the name. He's ordering his men up this hill. Yeah. Hey, you next. Guy gets shot in the head. Hey, you next. Guy gets shot in the head. Third guy gets shot in the head. It's Paul Merriman's turn. Now, this sniper is good. He's not messing. Yeah. Japanese sniper. He's a ghost. Yeah. He goes, in that moment, I knew I was a Marine. Yeah. I have a duty to perform. My job is to go out there and die. And that's okay. I was yeah. okay with that. I knew I would do my job. And then Corporal Unger says, oh, hell, that's not working. Let's go the other way. <laughs> and he, he, he lived. Yeah. He lived. And I said, <laughs> Paul, did you think about that? Much? He said, well, in time to time in practical application, it helped me. Uh, yeah. But no, man. He said, I, I didn't have time to think about that. Yep. He said, I had a family race. I had to keep moving. Yeah. Distraction. Distraction until the moment he was talking to me at 95 years old yeah you know and then he passed away a month after yeah. but it, it, it's a it's amazing so maybe it's a distraction maybe yeah. it's not but no matter what it's taking up brain space and i think that's powerfully therapeutic yeah because i think what happens to a lot of guys is they stop moving yep like you said you know maybe they're reading books maybe they're in their own head too much yeah and then they go back to that moment again and again and again i've seen it with my guys you've seen it with your guys oh, yeah. you know guys who are impacted right now we're living, you know, probably in harsh conditions because of it. Oh yeah, you know. Um, so that this has been powerful movement for you in creating this brand with Rob, right? Yeah. This movement, this passion, it's helping both of you guys. I know it's helping Rob. Yeah. So it's it's powerful to watch. Anything else you want to say about Gunfire Design and 
in the movement going forward and what you want um, from this? Man, I don't know. Because um, it, it is it is passion. Yeah. You know, for and for me and my work, it's like it's not a job. It's it's yeah. movement. It's like it's beautiful. I I struggle all the time, man. You know. Yeah. Uh, I was on a call this morning. And we found out we got a another sponsorship, and I, you know, I, I almost uh, started crying. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I've got some problems, man. Yeah, <laughs> I almost sure. started crying because yeah. I was so happy. Yeah. I I received confirmation again, verification yeah. from Lord that I'm doing the right thing. Oh yeah. And it was beautiful. It was like, and it's not that I'm in that bad of a place. But it's like it helps a lot. Yeah. So, is this how? how I guess my question would be: Is how tough is this? It's it, honestly, it's very tough. Um, you know, I have my wife Jordan is extremely supportive. That's beautiful. Um, which is at the same time very tough because uh, I don't think she has the same enthusiasm I have because I. I, I all things considered, what this is my sixth business right now. Yeah, uh, you know, four of them fell flat on my face and you know slid across the concrete, pretty <laughs> hard. Um, and so, you know, initially I was like, "Hey, this is this is the plan," and she's like, "So, so another one, you know." And, another. Uh, you know, there's not. We don't have the light at the end of the tunnel yet. Um, we've got a lot of work cut out for us. You know, we got a, a lot of figuring to do um, on how to make this work. Uh, but I think that the passion, the passion is what's different this time around. Um, and that's what keeps me going. Mm. Um, and just, just trying to figure it out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I, I think the cool thing is, is it's metaphorical in a way, right? That day on that rooftop, yeah. you didn't quit. You know, and th- this is something you don't have quit in you. Yeah. Even if you fail at something, you're going to move on to something else. Yeah. And I, this this won't be one of those things. It's yeah. it's just a matter of of when, you know, and how how do right. we how do we go from two guys owning a job to a business, <laughs> and how do we do that intelligently? Yeah, because I don't. I mean, uh, neither of us are like big business minded, but uh, I have I've done enough studying on uh, processes, and so it's like uh, I kind of have my. My process engineer hat on right now. Yeah. So it's, you know, I'm, anytime I'm doing something in the shop, I'm. How long does it take me? What's involved with this? What What is every step? You mm-hmm. know, and Rob's probably getting igno- annoyed because mm-hmm. it's. Uh, um, you know, hey, when you, when you are doing this, you know exactly what grit belts do you cycle through, exactly. And uh, and then I'm taking notes. So yeah. I mean, we're, we're, we're if we're hand grinding something, we hand grind to this, and then we switch from this to this. Is it ceramic? Is it aluminum oxide? Um, you know, okay. When we are sharpening our blades on a Tormach, um, or Tormek, uh, like a stone wheel, what what is the exact process? Okay, mm-hmm. when we sharpen knives on the 2x72 grinder what what exact steps are we doing yeah um, because then day if, if it's just if it's us telling the same a story every time you're going to get 27 different stories and right we don't, we don't we don't need 27 employees doing the same task 27 different ways yeah um we need to have a process so that's kind of like i'm nugging through 
and I'm the worst note taker writer, but you know, at least I, if at the end of the day I have a spreadsheet that I can hand to my wife, who is, uh, you know, a history writing major, um, she can at least help it not look like a caveman druid, <laughs> um, you know. I, um, I think I, I think one of my favorite things is you're you're talking about expediency of the process. Yeah, and uh, I'm terrible about that, by the way. So. <laughs> You know, God bless the Veterans Project. We'll see how long it lasts. Um, but, you know, watching you and Rob yeah. working back and forth was hilarious. Borderline <laughs> hilarious. Like, hilarious in a good way, though. Yeah. Like, because you could see the, you could see, like, he, he's patient, you know, certainly. Yeah. Like, you have a certain way of doing things. And you would get, Rob, what are we doing here? Yeah. He's like, well, I don't know. I was just you know, throwing some rocks in this wash, and then just you know <laughs> grinding the metal out, and yep. you know, we're getting a stone wash here, and you know, and you probably in your head you like have this whole process. We're going to set aside ten stones for this, and <laughs> at least have a plan. At least have uh, a plan, right? Yeah. yeah, or do it once and then take a shit ton of pictures. And... Yeah, <laughs> but this this to to him, and I know the way he's sinking. Yeah, that slows things down, but in the long term, in it long speeds term, it up. In long term, yeah, that's creates the, expediency. That's the difference. Between, so my son was uh he was in. In his blacksmithing course, and you know he, he loved it because he's nine at the time, and his instructor's fourteen, um, and so you know he's got a kid teaching him how to do forging stuff. Yeah, and that, that's that's way better than dad. Oh yeah, teaching him how to do stuff. Um, but you know, having the he's like, oh, I, you know, I, I own a business, and uh, so I'm talking to the fourteen year olds like, what's your business, and. Uh, so we start going back and forth, and uh, so when I got into the knife stuff with Rob, I deep dove for like a solid two months, uh, just on metallurgy, <laughs> just just because. Um, and so we're having, you know, he's like, "Oh, you know, I make Damascus knives." I'm like, "That's awesome, man." Um, you know, what do you? Sell? He's like, "Oh, you know, they they sell for uh, you know five, six fifty. Like that is fantastic, mm-hmm. man. You're fourteen years old. That is epic." And uh, well, how many do you make? He's like, oh, uh, sometimes it's a week to a week and a half, and you know, and that's where I probably wasn't the most motivational person to talk to. But I'm like, okay, well, that's that's a job making beer money, not a business. <laughs> um, you're not going to feed your family. But the same, the perspective is, you know, he's 14 right now, yeah, and he's doing these phenomenal things, right. But he, you know, and, and then we're arguing. He's like, well, Damascus is the best knife steel. And I was like, well, not really, man. <laughs> um, <laughs> Shut up, 14-year-old. There, there's a whole, there's a whole, you know, and I was just like, like to understand you're a teenager. Yeah. Uh, and you don't know everything. And I was like, I don't pretend to know half of what I need to know for metallurgy and knife science yet. Like, yeah. I've still got a long path to of discovery to uh, figure it out. But I mean, you know, there's, we use, we use CPM three V, which is a powdered steel. And, you know, we believe that this is the toughest knife steel we can use. Mm. Um, you know, and it's just shy of a stainless steel mm. and, you know, but that's where you, you, the knife nerds come out and like, stainless is the best or, you know, this, mm-hmm. this sand my is, the best for this and it's like well, it, it, everything has a job yeah like we we make you know our slogan hard use tools for serious people um you know rob and i both had knives break in combat roles you know mm. and so we we want to have a tool that will not fail you no matter what you're doing whether that be you know skinning an animal or you know we don't make fillet knives yet 
but uh and those people are like well you know you our tools are meant to be a tool right it has it still has its own niche but it's a pretty broad spectrum niche yeah but i don't think i'd try and grab our our pops or our uh, green side and try and clean a clean a fish with it <laughs> definitely better tools right 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 for the job you realize where you're at yeah. with it yeah but you need to smash a window cut just about anything uh pry a door pry a car door open you know uh we've got an application for you that's all right so that's so cool yeah. where do you, where do they go to see your stuff gunfighterdesign.com okay yeah and then you guys have an instagram as well yep uh, just at gunfighter design right Awesome. We're going to put all that up on the uh, Instagram and on, on the website and show showcase you guys as much as we can, because uh, I believe in what you're doing. Yeah. Uh, man, can I say that it's, it's been a privilege to talk to you? Absolutely, man. It's been a privilege to uh, get to know you and hearing that story. I mean, it, it was it was tough. Yeah. Uh, but I'm glad you were there. And I'm glad I get to know you now. And it is a privilege. This many years after getting to meet somebody that was there. Yeah. And getting to know him and getting to hopefully befriend him. Yeah. And uh, I, I appreciate you. So Thanks. Uh, for those of you listening, don't forget our legacies are the mission. Uh, tune in to our podcast as well on NPR and Texas Public Radio out of uniform. We are three episodes i don't know how many episodes we'll be in by the time this comes out but uh we'll be working into season two hopefully so hope you've enjoyed kyle carpenter's story so far and then we also had uh destiny dreyer's uh, story come on gold star wife um and we will have many more hopefully in the future and uh we appreciate you we appreciate you listening and stay tuned this has been the veterans project podcast with our founder, Tim Kay. Check us out at www.thevetsproject.com, on Instagram, at The Veterans Project, Facebook, The Veterans Project, and Twitter, at Project underscore Veteran. Thanks for listening, and don't forget, our legacies are the mission.